The Euroallegiance podcast is brought to you in part by the generosity of our wonderful Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com forward slash the Euroallegiance podcast for bonus episodes, behind the scenes content, merchandise and more. Now, let's get to this week's show. Welcome, folks. It's episode 18 of the Euroallegiance podcast, and tonight we have a full house, a very full house. We even have such a full house that we had to get a spare chair and pull it up to the table. So joining me from Birmingham in England, we have Malcolm Kennedy. How are you, Mal? I'm all good, thank you. Looking forward to what is going to be an amazing show tonight. Excellent. Well, you're projecting. Confident (laughs) man, confident man. I like it. I like it. And then all the way over in Bristol, from a day watching cricket, we have Richard Jones. Hey, everybody. Really looking forward to tonight. Very good. And if my boss is listening, I was working. The cricket was on in the background, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We believe you. We believe you. <laughs> Thousands wouldn't, but, you know. And then we have a very special guest tonight. Our first guest from across the water in the motherland, the mothership. And I even went so far as to make him a little intro. So here we go. He's Wellard. He's Sir Gerard. (laughs) There we go. Now you know who it is. It's Sir Gerard from the Sons of the Red Star. Welcome, Jeremy. Pretty Thanks awesome. Thanks, us. guys. No problem. You can have that one for free. <laughs> so, seriously, thanks for having me. I'm incredibly excited to be here as the, as you said, the first guest from uh, from across the pond. So that's a, that's quite an honor. So thank you very much. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, we we you know we started this little thing just because um, we enjoyed all the shows that were coming from all the wonderful. Uh, fans uh, of the line in the states and we said you know what we just want to hear our voices out there as well not as uh, in competition but uh, as in in conjunction with everybody else um and we we had a couple of european guests on we had great chats with uh, emil nico thomas seba dom um and uh, then we said i think we're we're we, we've got it down now we've got our structure we've got everything done we're we're pretty in a pretty good flow let's get on one of the guys from the four horsemen if we can and jeremy in particular the og mythic customs sales and marketing director so happy days so jeremy maybe uh everyone knows you i think and that's that's listening to this but you know people are going to come along to this in the future people maybe sure uh, are going to discover us. so give us the you know if i met you in an elevator we had two minutes going up. Give us the two-minute kind of background on, on who you are in relation to legions. And, sure. Uh, so I'm, fun stuff. I'm a longtime toy fan and collector. Um, I've been a fan of the work of Four Horsemen Studios, you know, 
before they were were Full Horseman Studios, back when they worked for McFarlane Toys. Um, I followed them, you know, through their original lines and certainly into the, the first Kickstarter for Mythic Legions. I was an original backer for that first Kickstarter, an all-in plus backer. Uh, you. I, <laughs> I went to the studio for the first time uh, as part of the Intern for a Day experience in 2018. And at that point, I already started customizing Mythic Legions. So prior to the, the line, I had done a little bit of customs with action figures, but not a ton. And obviously the modularity of Mythic Legions uh, really spoke to me. It really opened me up creatively to start creating customs. Uh, so when I went to the studio and met the guys at the studio for the first time, they knew who I was. They, they'd seen my Instagram. They followed me and everything, which was super cool for me as a fan. Uh, but even cooler, a month later, I got an email from Cornboy inviting me back to the studio, but this time not as a paid intern, but as an invited guest to be part of the very first G-Con. So G-Con is the yearly broadcast where they you know, reveal a new wave. This particular one was the Soul Spiller wave. So I got to go, I got to show off my work and start a friendship with the crew at Four Horsemen Studios. That friendship would eventually blossom into me working for them part-time. Uh, I started by rebuilding their website for them. And at the time I had said, look, I can rebuild the site for you, but you really need someone to keep it up, to write content for it, to manage it. That's something that I would love to do. And they were thrilled to have me do it. Um, I did that for about three years. My relationship, the work I was doing for them grew uh, considerably until uh, last year, I took over full time as the director of sales and marketing. So, you know, now my role with the studio, I do all of the marketing. So, all the content you see on the website and social, that's all me. Um, and then I get to do fun projects as well. Like we've, you know, I know you did a show a few weeks ago about the, the Mythic Legions lore and the upcoming book. You know, I get to work on writing content like that, partnering with Eric on, you know, that official lore, um, and even contributing some design work to some of the figures at times for the Legions Con figures and, uh, others. So that's, so when, that's when kind you, of the when overview. you press, when you press buy on that original Kickstarter, did you yeah. ever, think you'd be one day writing the bios or helping to write the bios and writing a book and all this kind of stuff. Do you ever pinch yourself? <laughs> I do all the time, all the time. I mean, you know, again, I started as a super fan. Um, I would, I can remember going back to that Kickstarter page multiple times after the Kickstarter was done and just like looking at the photos and just imagining what these figures were going to be like in my collection and then planning out the pop and swaps and doing like Photoshop digibashes of how I was going to swap parts. So I was like right from the beginning, hardcore excited for these toys. So to now be, you know, behind the, the, the curtain on the other side of the table or whatever, contributing to that is an absolutely surreal experience. It's it's actually quite interesting that from day one you were already working out what customs and what you could do with them because, I mean, I've said this before in a few things, I think I was aware of you and your customising before I was fully aware of the line and and aware of even the cabal existing and that sort of thing. So uh, it's good that that's how you've probably drawn a lot of people into this line. Yeah, and it's it blows my mind when I meet people and they tell me that their first like 
interaction or, you know, with the brand, with the Legion's brand was by seeing one of my customs, uh, by seeing like one of the Kitsune customs or, or looking something up, like one of my, you know, Dungeons and Dragons style customs or whatever, and seeing that and saying, Ooh, what is this? Um, so to hear that that turned them onto the line. And then of course, to hear that, you know, customizers got excited and got the confidence to do it after watching my videos. Both of those comments are very humbling for me and absolutely incredible, but I'm just, I'm thrilled. I know how much I love this community. Uh, so I'm thrilled that whenever I can turn someone onto it and they can find that same kind of love, that's incredibly rewarding. And, and also part of your job now, which is, it uh, is. Yeah. super fun for you. Um, so I, I kind of linked onto that then. I mean, how is your, your working life changed you know what's your typical day now versus before you know how i get the feeling you probably work more but that doesn't really count you probably don't even count it in working hours anymore almost apart from like family time and sure. the obvious stuff but the working working when there's yeah. stuff to be done i like we'd all be looking at the clock in our own you know <laughs> in your own kind of you know if you're working in a bank or whatever the boys yeah. do working for the the british government um whereas now i think you're probably happy to go to work you would jump in our bed every morning and how has that changed for you what's the typical day for jeremy these days compared to before so i am excited to work every day i absolutely love what i do uh it is hard to separate sometimes because my hobby has genuinely become my job and that's you know, there's a good, there's an amazing aspect to that, but there's also a very challenging aspect to that because we all need to step back and recharge. And this is something that's not unique to me. A lot of people at the studio love what we do so much that it's hard to pull away from the work sometimes. And you absolutely need to do that. Um, I am very fortunate that I have a wonderful family. I do have interests outside of legions as crazy as that may sound. So I do force myself to make time to step away, to get outdoors um, and to not be as connected to, you know, the community and the work itself. Um, but in terms of how it has changed, one thing that is nice is when I was working part-time and I was taking on more and more responsibilities, I was also juggling another full-time job. So now that I don't have to worry about that and trying to, you know, make time for both uh, responsibilities, it's allowed me to do a lot of things for the brand, a lot of things behind the scenes that I just frankly wouldn't have had time for before. The book is a perfect example of that. I never would have had time to dedicate to the amount of writing I've done for the Mythic Legions book had I not been able to work full time. And so is it still a bit similar that maybe you start your working day, you're going through your emails, your messages, whatever, is that is that still the same as, yeah, as, a, yeah. as a regular job? I'm an early riser. So yeah. anyone that follows me, I mean, you guys are over there. So with the, the, you know, the time difference, you probably see me posting around like, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. About 11 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm up at like five o'clock in the morning, five thirty, whatever. So that's always been kind of my routine. Um, I'm the only member of my family that's an early riser. So, and that's oh, my wow. favorite time I get up and no one else is awake to bother me. I can just sit down, I grab a coffee, and I just go through my feed. I see what's going on. I make my posts, you know, for the horsemen, my posts for myself personally on Mythic Customs. Um, and I just kind of get a sense of 
you know, what's happening, check my email and so forth. So I still do that first thing in the morning to set myself up for what's going to need to get done for the rest of the day. Uh, well, and I can vouch for that because I ran into it at like half five in the morning on his way to G-Con, <laughs> which was because uh, I couldn't sleep, obviously, yeah. with the uh, time, yeah, difference time difference. And Jeremy's there, off on his day and it's like, wow, this is early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always, uh, I always, especially when there's, you know, there's fun reveal times or whatever and you're doing stuff through social media. I'm always, a, I'm always happier in early riser <laughs> because it pops up just before That's lunchtime, early. you know. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, G-Con and Legion's Con are even worse. They're, they're, that whole weekend is so crazy for me because as an early riser, as you can imagine, I also tend to go to bed fairly early, yeah. but you can't go to bed early when you're at Legion's Con because no. you're, you're terrified you're going to miss something. So you're hanging out in the lobby and everyone's having so much fun. And the thought of going up to your room, you're just like, I, I know the minute I walk away, there's going to be hijinks and I'm going to miss something awesome. So I end up being up till 12, 1, 1 in the morning at these events, but come five o'clock, I'm still raring to go. I'm still up and I got to get down there and be a part of it. So needless to say, once uh, the Legion's Con weekend is done, the Mythic weekend is done, I absolutely crash for like three days. Oh yeah, for sure. And just add a, just add a five five or six hour time difference kind of jet lag into that oh. for us <laughs> now of course we don't you know we're just there to party you have to work but uh, still you yeah. know i remember i think so i got back on the monday and i guess or the tuesday morning and I, i'd say it was friday before i was really feeling human again sure you know and not the kind of usual you know you drank too much alcohol or whatever <laughs> it was just this kind of haze of you know wow, I have not had enough sleep. <laughs> there isn't enough hours in the day to catch up on it. Yeah. Well, I got back with tonsillitis and COVID. So wow. I, I was out of it for like the next two you weeks. Might have, at that point, you might as well. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least you had an excuse then to, to go to bed for a few days. Um, and then staying on the topic of working for the Four Horsemen, um, what's the most unexpected thing? you've kind of run into since you've started working there or you know what are some of the unexpected things that uh, you maybe didn't see from the outside that you can talk about of course oh, of course um so i've been pretty involved for the last few years so it's not like there were a lot of you know secret doors that got opened once i started where they said well now you can see this um i think probably my biggest surprise that I've been able to do is the amount of kind of creative leeway I have with my role. Um, so I knew I was coming on, I was already doing all the marketing. So I knew I was coming on as with the sales director position to really spearhead all of the, the retailer orders. That's something that Chris uh, Gorich had done for years, but you know, he, like any small company, people, you know, do a lot of different roles. And as you grow, that just becomes non-scalable. So Chris had to get rid of some of the things he was doing so he could focus on the production manager responsibilities that he had. Um, so I knew I was taking over the sales role, all the retailers. But what I didn't expect and what I'm delighted about is the amount of 
creative, like I said, input, getting to work with Eric, not only on the story, but even contributing, like I said, to some of the figure stuff. Um, you know, I remember last year I started, you know, only a short time before this. And I remember being in the studio and we were planning out All Stars 5. And, you know, we knew that we were going to do the, the plus side of it. And we had a bunch of parts that were already tooled that we knew we could use without any delays or anything like that for tooling. So just being in there and putting all these parts out on the table and being part of the group saying like, okay, let's make figures. Like, let's put these characters together and saying, I remember putting together Dubon and kind of saying like, oh, let's make him a ranger. And Eric saying, well, I want to paint the skin a little darker because I want it to have kind of like a more of like an Indian kind of complexion. Um, and then thinking, oh, let's make him a Northern Ranger. And that would be silvers and grays and blues. Like being part of that process is just incredibly rewarding as a creative. Prior to Four Horsemen, uh, I worked at a company, a technology company, where I was really the only creative, you know, soul in that that role. I was I, I was doing all of the creative marketing and stuff. So to now come to a company where everyone is so creative and to still have so much flexibility, um, Eric is amazing to work with because he never tells you no. If there's something that immediately is not a yes, he says, let's talk about that. And, you know, it's happened a number of times with the book where I'll throw something in there and he's like, let's talk about that. And I explain my thought process. And there have been, you know, multiple things. There have been a couple things we've tweaked, but there have been things that he's that has said, wow, that's really cool. I like that. We're going to keep that and write that into the lore. So to be able to actually change some of the direction and some of the back stories of some of the characters that I know and love has been incredibly fulfilling and cool as well. But that that just says to me, like that anecdote about Eric is that he's just and, and it seems like all the people there, they're just comfortable in their own skin. They're comfortable with their own talents. And they're not threatened by other people. In fact, they bring, they put their arms around them and say, how can we bring them in? How can we bring them up to our level or so to speak? Or, you know, that, 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 that is the perfect atmosphere, not the, you know, protecting their area and saying, right, no, that's my creative area. And you don't come in here because I want to be the the star of that area. Well, it's, it's that, that says to the success i think for me yeah i was gonna say it's like film and movies isn't it it's a collaborative process uh, process <laughs> um went all american then um and then uh, um and not everyone has is the best at everything so there are other people are going to bring ideas uh you know of experiences that go oh, well what about this and what about that and it seems like that is exactly what's going on there and for for us really good that it is because the results speak for themselves yeah you know i've always subscribed to the theory or the principle that good ideas can come from anywhere and if you know you only if you work for an organization uh, where they assume that only good ideas only ideas worth implementing can come from you know a certain hierarchy it's it's just counterproductive you really do need to embrace the fact that there are so many good ideas in any group of people. So that's, that's great to be a part of that. You know, I've said like when it comes to the lore and stuff, I mean, this is all stuff that Eric has had in his head for years, but like with working on the story, the best analogy that I've used is it's almost like Eric plotted all, all the key destinations on a map, 
but he didn't detail how characters get from one destination to another or why they got from one destination, like what their motivation was. So a big part of what I've done is connect those dots. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I do think that Eric and I work really well together is I don't try to change those key points. I'm not saying like, well, we've got to throw in A, B, and C to meet some kind of standards or whatever. I'm not trying to change the story. I'm taking his carefully plotted story, which is amazing, and I'm just connecting the dots. And the stuff that I'm adding are to flesh out those in-between places. And that's worked really, really well. And I very much think that as a Legions fan myself, I've said before that I'm writing the book and I'm reading it at the same time. And I'm like trying to race through pages so I can find out what happens and that I'm writing. As crazy as that sounds, I genuinely can't wait for, you know, all of you to read it and tell me what you, what you, you thought. You heard on our, on our lore episode, how excited we were for the book. And also we talked about the fact oh, yeah. that and uh, we'll be we'll be going back to do a few more episodes oh, yeah. and maybe re- reviewing our uh, our uh, wrong <laughs> wrong turns that <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned to me before that you were you were trying you were screaming at your uh, yes. at your headphones as you were listening to us maybe uh, not angry but just kind of oh guys no. no it's not that it's this <laughs> and, and that's a good point I should say you know. I'm a listener of the show. I love this show. I love listening to the three of you, your camaraderie. I mean, the fact that you met for the first time at Legions Con and it was a friendship that you really fostered there that led to this. I mean, ultimately that just tickles me. That makes me so happy, but I absolutely love, I love the show. I love it. And I love hearing a different perspective for what you all deal with being outside of the U.S. and being European collectors, listening to the challenges that you face is only going to allow us to have a better perspective if there are things that we may be able to do to, you know, accommodate worldwide collectors. It is a very um, useful type of angle to hear it from. Yeah, and I think that also it's it's for us to make connections with you guys somehow uh, and that you can actually reach out to to us and say, right, guys, you know, we, we, we see this is happening. You know, is there any advice that you have from your perspective? Yeah. Why not? You know, <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, that was the hook for the podcast was we met at Legion's Con um, and we loved the line and we wanted more excuses to talk to each other and why not do it in a bit more public way? And uh, it also makes us responsible for doing this once a week. I think it was very, it was ambitious at the start to think, is there enough to talk about once a week? But when you get into the weeds of it, there's plenty to talk about. And the odd time we, the odd time we throw in other topics about collecting, that's fine, but I try and hook them back to legions. And I think that's how it'll work for us, you know, and there will be, but I think with what you guys are doing these days, (laughs) you're giving us plenty to talk about in a very positive way. Now I must say, um, no, no, we, we we leave the other podcasts, uh, your other friends in Michigan, to do the drama. We do the <laughs> we do our own little drama, but nothing, Good choice. Uh, Good nothing choice. controversial. Nothing, nothing. Uh, shall we say we don't go looking for it? It might sometimes arrive at our doorstep, sure. but uh, that's fine. 
I was going to say, we'll continue along nicely um, until we three of us share a room at Legion's Con and then who knows where the podcast is. <laughs> this could be a lot of I know you're not trying to share any room, Jeremy. There's three of us sharing a room. So, yeah, who knows? Needs oh. must. You know, we need more money to buy your, your wonderful figures and the uh, customs. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff to buy at Legion's yes. Con. That's for sure. No yeah. shortage of stuff at Legion's Con to, to spend no, your money on. I, I have to say, if you're listening to this and you've any way at all of going to Legion's Con, Without do saying it. much more, just do it. Yeah, just do it. Come back to me. I'll give you a refund on your ticket if you didn't enjoy it. I'm that confident about it. <laughs> but you have to really prove to me that you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> so I was just going to go back to the book that uh, Jeremy. Have you got sort of a bit any more sort of updates on the progress where it might be at? What what? I'm on the final chapter right now. <laughs> um, Whoa! And it's well. What's funny is it's not the last chapter it's the final one i have to do because there's a point at the end where you know i'm bouncing between a couple different perspectives and i got to a point where i wanted to finish one thread so i had a chapter that i knew i needed to change the perspective but i didn't want to lose the momentum of what i was covering so i literally just put like the chapter number and then just a page break and then did the next chapter so there was this one chapter just towards the end that I never wrote. I knew kind of what had to be in that chapter. I knew what I had to cover, but it wasn't as critical as the others. So I've actually written the final chapters in the in book one. That's all done. Now I'm just before we, we logged on today to record, I was finishing up the, the last piece that I have to do. Um, the book is five different sections. So the first four sections are fully, I want to say fully edited. I've edited it so far. It's in Eric's hands right now. Um, so once I'm done this last one, I'll go through that, make any changes I need to make, and then get it to Eric. Uh, and then the first draft will be done. You know, we're going to also have, you know, people look at it and edit it more from a grammatical standpoint and spelling errors, things like that. Don't give it to Chris to edit. We won't give it to Chris. <laughs> won't give it to Chris. That's super exciting. So, so there you go, folks. We're we're actually delaying the book by a couple of hours here on our on our podcast. So Sorry I, about that. I'm still very much hoping. There's still a lot of work to do. You sure. know, because this is such a visual book. That's that's one of the things that's going to be interesting. Is it's not like once the writing and editing is done, we're pretty much ready to go because we just throw it into a you know page layout and print because this is such a visual almost like an art book mixed with a novel um the page layout requirements are going to be very very time intensive so getting all the art getting all the photography laying out all the individual pages that alone is just going to be a massive undertaking yeah uh, so we're still hoping that next year next year is you know the 25th anniversary of the studio the 10th anniversary of mythic legions just feels like the perfect timing to be able to release this first volume and have you gone any i guess it's very early in the process but have you gone anywhere uh, down the road of the production and how Not yet. have you thought about that no okay the only thing i've thought about with that i mean so the books that i really used as a sample for this um actually when i pitched it to the studio because i started this project i pitched this project before i was full-time with the studio and i 
you know, showed them some sample page layouts and I had a copy. There's a series of Harry Potter books, like the illustrated version. So they're large hardcover. Yep. They're gorgeous. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. These are gorgeous books. Even though I've read them and I own them all, I've been buying all the illustrated versions just because they're so, there's just such attractive volumes. And that's what they are. The fact that it's artwork mixed in with the text, like they, they really have equal billing in the presentation. That's what I wanted to do right from the start. So beyond it being a large hardcover style volume and beyond my my uh, desire to have both like a standard version and like a special edition version that's maybe souped up with like a slip case and stuff. I definitely want to do something that's extra special for fans that really want like, like the super premium version of the book. Beyond that, I, I haven't really looked in. We haven't looked into exactly how we're going to produce it because we don't have enough information about how long it's going to be and all of that for us to realistically start getting quotes. Yeah, I, I know with books are quite heavy things as well. So shipping is also another uh, messy topic on that. But, you know, we'll pick it up at Legion's Con 24. No problem. <laughs> no problem. What's interesting is I know here in the US we have a mail option called Media Mail. Ah, I don't okay. know if there are options internationally for that but it's specifically made for stuff like books that are unreasonably heavy well as you currently do a lot of shipping that might be something that you get i mean i know that you know some of these book kickstarters you know these toy collecting books that's always been the the killer for me i mean but they've often been books now there's not been a legions type book where i go well i have to get that i don't care what the shipping is i'm just going to eat it they've been books where oh yeah if i saw that in the shop i'd definitely buy it but i'm not paying 70 to ship it you know when it costs 70 you know but we cross that bridge when we come to it won't we (laughs) yeah and i think it's fair to say you've snared us all with the whole heavy coffee table tone yeah. sort of take on it oh, as well yeah. we're, all, we're all of that age where it's like that that's what we want we don't want an online thing. i want to just like, leave it on my book. coffee table and you know you might have like i don't know even my wife's friends might be over or you know <laughs> some people that don't know too much about my collecting and they'd be looking at it, wow that's cool and i'd be like where do you see the basement <laughs> <laughs> well rich is funny that's that a you good intro you know it's funny you mentioned that rich because I've had a number of people ask me if we're going to do a digital version of it. And realistically, we have to lay it all out digitally. So doing a digital version is going to be like pretty simple. But in my brain, I'm just like, why would you want a digital version? Like the, the, the presentation of it, the heft of it, being able to put it on that coffee table, to me, that's what's so impressive. But I do also know there are some people that are like, look, I just I just want to read it. I just want to consume it. So I think that it's fair to say that there will be some kind of digital option as well for people that just want to download it and read the story. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, just the text maybe in digital for a you know lower price or whatever. But um, but offer that later, you know, make sure they've had plenty of time to buy the book and, and you make a bit of money first. Jeremy, can I take us back? A step um so you were talking about oh john asked you the question about what it's like with the four horsemen and stuff you might not have expected is there anything sort of toy industry wise that you found like really not shocking but you weren't expecting it to come the complexity of the process continue continually surprises me um all the different 
stages that go into the process and, you know, how seemingly minor delays at any stage can stack up to become much more significant delays. Um, yeah, that's really getting into it because that is something that I wasn't really involved heavily with before I came on full time. Um, I do work very closely with Chris as well. And obviously Chris is involved with all the production stuff at our factories in China. So learning from him, he has such a wealth of knowledge of how this stuff works and just the, the ins and outs of how toys are made. So just learning from him and being next to that has been really, really eye-opening for me. Is there ever a, a chance in the future now to go back to China? Because I know it was very closed over the last yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, Chris is talking now. He's looking into what the possibilities are to get back to uh, the Chinese factories and stuff. You know, he's been very good working with them remotely, but... I mean, clearly there's something lost when you're not able to have some FaceTime and go there and see what's going on. So uh, we all think it would be beneficial for Chris to, you know, get back to the factory at some time. So that's that's something that's being looked into. You just want to get rid of him from the warehouse for a bit, don't you? <laughs> so I go to the warehouse, you know, about once a month for, you know, anywhere from a couple of days to a week. So I very much enjoy working with Chris when I get there. Um, so I'm not the one that's trying to get rid of him. I cannot speak for George and Bill and yeah. everybody else who would probably be delighted to have a little peace and quiet. But it does look like such a, you know, cool work environment in terms of, you know, they get like guys like Greg, I think, comes in kind of yep. temporary whenever there's a, there's a big rush on and because he has a, another day job, he's a car salesman or something. And there's yeah. a few other guys, I think, like that, yep. isn't there? Maybe there is. Chris, I mean, Chris Durant, is it? Is he going? Or, no, Vernon, Vernon is Turner. there. Um, Cookie obviously started as a fan. It's funny because we were yeah. going to do a panel discussion at, one of I can't remember what event we were talking about doing. It might even have been Legion's Con, um, where we were going to do a panel called uh, a fantastic company, and it was kind of a play on their whole fantastic exclusive brand they had for years. But it's amazing how many of us started as genuine fans. You know, Joe Bassapolo and I talk about that all the time. But even someone like Nate Barch, who's our you know full time artist now, he's. He's full-time employed by Four Horsemen Studios. You know, he started by doing some Motu fan art that those guys saw. And they said, hey, you want to do a piece for us for our Ramathor character for Seventh Kingdom? And that's how he started. And now he does all the packaging. Even someone like Trevor Williams. You know, I met Trevor for the first time at um, – actually, I met him for the first time at ToyCon. But we hung out more at the second G-Con. And – that's the one where they started talking to him about taking photos and, you know, he's now come on and he's our official photographer. So it's incredible how many people that work for this company full time or part time uh, started as fans of the brand and fans of the products. Yeah, I think that that'd be a brilliant panel for for some, you know, one of those cons, even like a power con or I don't know if they do panels, but um where, where people maybe don't know you as well yeah. and that's a imagine the intro to the company of like wow they just yeah. take it from their own community uh the talent and how 
how exciting that is for a fan of the line to think, you know, well, I could work for some company like this, you know? <laughs> One thing I will say to, to Rich, so you asked if I've learned any things. I will tell a story that I had, because I do still pinch myself that I work in the toy industry as a longtime toy collector. The fact that I work in toys now is amazing to me. And there was a point last year at PowerCon where at PowerCon, they have like a private room for like certain guests to go and have something to eat and stuff. And I sat down and I had, I was with Eric Treadaway and Nate Barch and it was the three of us. And at the table, there was a gentleman who he did all the photography for Kenner back during the original, like, late 70s, early 80s Star Wars toys. There's the guy that created Boglins is there as well in Sectors. And then there's um, James Groman, the guy that did, you know, all the design work for Madballs and so forth. And we're all at the table, and they're just all talking, and I'm at that table. And I definitely had, like, imposter syndrome, where I was like, what the heck am I doing here? Like, why? But it was great because I looked at Nate and I was like, this is incredible. And he knew exactly what I meant. And he just smiled at me. He's like, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? And that was a moment where, again, one of those pinch yourself moments where you're just like, I can't believe I'm at this table with these, you know, visionaries from the toy community. It was incredible. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, even on a, to bring it back to to my perspective, even I was there on the Sunday night of Legion's Con, and uh, it was just after it was a good bit after the end, maybe seven p.m. And a few of the guys from your studio were just waiting for, for the try. There was an American football game going on, and we were there, and maybe we were having a drink, but there wasn't much going on. Um, and they were just waiting for the traffic to die down. So in the end, at some point, I was sitting in an armchair in the lobby, yeah. and there was. Eric Treadway, Nate Barch, yeah. and I think Joe Vasapolo Joe, was there. Yeah. Uh, Mal and Rich, obviously, yeah. were, were floating around there. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I kind of came all the way to see this, and, you know, maybe this is the best bit. <laughs> it's over already, and it's like, yeah. actually, still the best bit. And we weren't talking about toys. We were shooting the breeze about yeah. the traffic and, you know, what was going on, and just normal, boring human stuff. That's awesome. That and and you're yeah that kind of just gave you fuzzy feeling but it also gave you the feeling that like these are just nice people and they do really good work and without blowing smoke up yeah i think that is kind of how the community grows around it to quote one of the horsemen they they just try not to suck yeah yeah. they they do the um i think it was a second night of legions con last year it was like half two in the morning and, and Eric was still up and I just grabbed him for a selfie and he was quite happy for a selfie oh, yeah. and, and to talk to me. And it's like, you can't imagine a big company doing that. They'd be like, no, well, A, they wouldn't be up that time of night and then they certainly wouldn't talk to you. And Eric was like, yeah, yeah, come over, you know, just get a selfie, have a quick chat. So it's just brilliant. Well, one of the great things, Eric lives, like we're, the, so the hotel that we were at last year, Eric doesn't live far from that hotel, maybe 20 minutes, right? Because he lives right next to the office, and the office is about 20 minutes away. Last year and this year, Eric got a room at the hotel because the idea that he would leave and not be at, you know, the hotel in the thick of everything was just incomprehensible to him. 
he was like, no, I'm going to be at Legion's Con. So, you know, I obviously have to stay there. I don't live in New Jersey, but a number of people from the studio, they're all at the hotel this year, even though they could easily go home because as you said, you know, they're fans of this, they're fans of this community, they're part of this community, and it's important to them to be there. I remember on Sunday morning seeing Eric and him telling me that he was up until two something in the morning closing it out. So you're right, he was thrilled to take that selfie because he was just thrilled to be there and be a part of it. Yeah, it was great. Although I'll try and get a selfie with him a bit earlier this year because it was a little blurry because I may have had a couple of drinks. <laughs> Fair enough. You need to upgrade the phone to have that anti yeah, anti shake. Yeah. You need the uh, beers up along the bar for each of the horsemen as they walk in. That's what you need. <laughs> you know, but even the guys, behind, you know, they were even behind the counter selling the stuff. Like Cornboy was doing an eight, eight to ten hour shift there behind the desk. He didn't need to do that. You know, he just wanted to do that because he oh, yeah. wanted to chat to the people, you know? Yeah. Like you could you could easily have got someone to oh, yeah. you know to to do the that job, but he did he that's where he wanted to be in the thing. Absolutely. It, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Not only that, not only was he there doing that, but he also posed for a selfie with me. He pulled his mask <laughs> down briefly, got the <laughs> selfie back up again. So fair play. That was great. Yeah. Very good. So Let's move on to some more maybe specific questions that maybe you can't add, answer, Jeremy, but uh, ask away. What, what have you got, Rich? Well, it's it's more of a generic one and it's quite handy for the moment. It's like, how glad are you and the horseman that Cosmic is now in people's hands? Oh, incredibly glad. Um, you know, obviously the pre-order happened a little, what is a little under two years ago, but we've been living with it even longer than that. And, you know, as awesome as it is, there's that sense when you're launching something of is lightning going to strike twice? Like, you know, it's amazing what's happened with mythic legions, but can we recreate that formula with a whole different story, a whole different aesthetic, a whole different, you know, group of characters and figures. Um, and you don't know what's going to happen until they're in fans' hands. You know, I saw multiple people, for instance, on the most recent Cosmic pre-order, Zaxius, say that they were holding back on ordering because they weren't sure if they were going to like Cosmic. And they would very quickly say, look, I know the horsemen are going to deliver. I'm not worried about that. I know the figures are going to be awesome. What I don't know is if I'm going to like them, which is a very fair statement. I've seen lots of cool figures that are just not for me or my collection. That's very fair. So to now have these in fans' hands and to see such an incredibly positive reaction right out of the gate to what fans are getting um, is a, a, a sigh of relief. Even though this is what we all hope for and, you know, certainly wanted we never take anything for granted and until it happens we definitely have that that pit in our stomach that bit of nervousness so to finally get them out there and to hear the positive reviews has been incredible oh absolutely yeah. i mean people seem to i've not had mine yet or even shipping notice 
which is fine. I'm a long way away. That's fine. I'm bitter that John's got his. Thank you, John. Yes. Well, this is my payback from the tactics. <laughs> yeah, come on. He was due, guys. He was due months, for to be the first one to get these. <laughs> this is true. Yes, this is very true. But no, it's great to see all the positive comments and that sort of thing. And it's I, I as much as almost as much as anything, I'm enjoying people put up the um the the legion the legion builders yep. and just saying this is the legion builder. I painted a little bit. Here's a head. Look at this. I mean, that just gets my imagination just, just going. It's, yeah, it's extremely Yeah, exciting. I mean, I have a rack of heads here that I've been painting over the last year and, you know, that I will bring to Legion's Con this year and try and sell a few to cover our costs. But, yeah, I was just grabbing random heads and taking pictures. And, yep. you know, the kids were on the floor opening the, the figures, which was great because <laughs> it was a lot of work to open an all-in. <laughs> and, uh, uh they they love that they love the unboxing thing. I think it's a it's a young person thing. You know, if you put, if you gave them YouTube, they'd straight away go to unboxing videos. So for them to be doing the unboxing, you know, and like, but they just seem to have an appeal. This Cosmic Legions, like my son is eight and my daughter is ten, and my son has been kind of interested in mythics and he likes the figures. But as soon as he saw Cosmic Legions, I need a bug guy, you know, and I need a Kragnar. I mean, how much does that cost? You know, can you get me for my birthday? Can you get me for Christmas? You know, are you getting extras? You know, are you going to sell them? You know, because I often get extras and I'm, you know, my, my thing is I buy extras and then either I customize with them or eventually I'll sell them. You know, I think we all do that in the customizing yes. game. You know, you, you try and get as much extras as you can afford, be it from retailers at the time or direct from you guys. Um, and he's always eyeing them up going, yeah, are you going to use this? Are you going to sell it? You know? And, but this time he insisted, he goes, I need, uh, so he wants the the blue uh, Sphexian, uh, the Sphexian guard. Uh, and he saw it and when he, he unboxed it and he was like, yeah, definitely the blue one because of the paint. I think he's completely blown away by it. Um, but I think he wants to nick the, the railgun off Forga. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, but the best thing about these figures, apart from anything else, you can go to, is, you just open them and you go, oh, it's a four horseman figure. It's just, just, you know, it was the first feeling for, you know, I was initially collecting on nostalgia, you know, Masters of Universe classics and all that kind of stuff. And when I got the, my first Mythic Legions, it was just like, oh, this is what I was looking for. This is kind of this weight, this feeling in hand, even the smell of the paint. I don't know what it was, but just something. And it was like, oh, yeah, I can I can move this around and just I enjoy it. And it was like, nostalgia doesn't matter anymore. Actually, what I was into was action figures. And so I had them. And this is the same. This is like getting my first Mythic Legions order again in a different kind of, uh, you know, different genre. But I just picked the, picked the, the first thing I opened was a Legion Builder. So Science Officer was one of the two. I said, because this is the baseline. This is how good they're going to be baseline. And I opened it up and I went, yes. You know, it's just a little little fist bump and go, yes, this is, these are good, you know? It's the cross-line It's the cross line potential, too. I mean, yeah. I've got a couple of Mythics characters which are vaguely crab-orientated. And then having seen closer pictures of the Svexian hands, it's like, well, they could they could double up as crab claws. Sure. That's brilliant. So I can now use cosmic parts in Mythics oh, and yeah. they'll work brilliantly. Oh, yeah. And it's... It's not yeah. only them, Rich, but yeah, I, yeah, that's a very easy in, but it's not only them. Wow. I ordered I ordered straight away the on the Oleg, is it the Graveling one? The the arena one with the, yeah, that's the scaly body. 
Uh, I, I ordered three more of them from a retailer locally when I when I got them because I was like, okay, I can do some cool customs in Mythics with this guy. Or maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be Mythics. They just can be customs that can sit sure. between the two. Who knows? But this body base body is wow. I mean, Rich, someone like yourself, I can just imagine having a field day with these. Because, I mean, some of the... <laughs> I know you love the customs and I know you love the groups of customs. So, you know, I, I've recently heard you talking about wanting to do a team of like angelic type characters with Sir Ignatius, you know, even mixing like, well, what do angels in Cosmerium look like? Like, what do these like celestial type of, you know, God almost like characters look like in uh, you know, a cosmic space. Thinking about stuff like that, you can go down incredible. What do what do space knights look like? You know, you can go down these incredible paths by mixing some of those things and using elements of mythic and cosmic together for sure. One hundred percent. The the boys have already been laughing at me that I've got um space templars on the radar oh, yeah. already. Uh, oh. Using the dark templar body well, uh, torso or something, that, but it's, yeah, I've got a that, group of those lined up. What was that picture from the cosmic cabal you sh you'd showed us earlier in the oh, week? Oh, so, yeah, because um, you know Rich is into the Lithia's brew. That's his guys. Yeah. Yes, and somebody I can't remember who it was now, but they put vampire various mythic legion vampire heads on a few of the cosmic figures, and I was like, well, I now need a cosmic vampire. <laughs> there you go, or, <laughs> or affiliation. That's that's what so, I need now. Well, you know, that, that's. That, innocent person that posted that cool picture is like costing uh... cost me a lot of money yes so one thing i'll so i'll say this about cosmic these are my impressions you know as a fan so taking off the yeah. marketing director hat for a second yeah. um you mentioned john that your kids really enjoyed it i think it's fair to say that cosmic is more toyetic than mythic is you know there's just an element to these cosmic characters that screams toy, that screams action figure. You can see, again, I'm very similar in age to Eric. We grew up with very similar socioeconomic type realities. We played with the same toys and everything. So the, the figures that influenced him from his childhood are the same exact figures that I had as well. And I can see these types of designs being in toy stores back when I was a kid. But these are obviously evolved into the Four Horsemen style. But the other thing I really felt opening these, and John, I'm curious if you agree with this, Cosmic Legions Wave 1 feels like it's five years into the line already. Because you learn so much as you go. If you look at, you know, year one of Mythic and year five, year five, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of improvements. I feel like Cosmic, because of everything we learned in Mythic, it leapfrogged those first years of the learning curve. And it right out of the gate got us to a point where it's like, wow, this already feels like a mature line. It already feels like they know where they are. They know where their footing is. And it's just going to keep growing from here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, firstly, with the, you know, you already had the structure and the story with the book one and, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. Two obviously for wave two and then the outpost uh, stories, which were amazing, by the way. Um, and then, yeah, look, look at the paint jobs on these. I mean, obviously, you've evolved the paint, even if you look at Kickstarter one versus Kickstarter mm -hmm. two, you know, Advent to Decay, those uh, 2.0 uh, elves with all the tiny Grish, Grisha the Slitherer with yep. every little dot painted on the armor. I mean, this has already got to there. I yeah. mean, it's amazing that this 
I'm looking down at all these figures. They're in their plastic trays on the floor. And nobody was in the factory in China between the time of you soliciting these and producing them. And look at them. Like now I know everyone's had to deal with that now, but like the quality is the quality is current wave mythics and your wave one cosmics. And so if you look at mythics, it's whatever 2015, 16 we started. Mm-hmm. And you've got eight years into that now and you bring in eight years of that line into this line paint jobs even the legion builders i mean i opened the sentry now it was the last one i opened because i opened the science officer first uh i could be the best legion builder you've ever done you know just what you get i mean okay you could say you know you get more stuff with the elf legion builder in advent but this figure is just so good you know, it's just yeah, like it's, it's it, it can stand on its own. You can have 10 of these guys on the shelf and be a legion of sentries. And you've got the two different guns. You don't need to do much with them. You got the two different heads. You got the bubble helmet on or off. And um, wow, you know, that's going to just look amazing behind, yeah. uh, you know, a main character. Or you can get the paintbrushes out. You can do a bit of dry brushing. You can block out the, the bits of armor. The other thing about this and what you say about it being more toyetic for a customizer, also easier in that, you know, just blocking out the colors here. You don't need to do the weathering. You can do the weathering and that's all good. And, you know, there will be guys that will have a weathered uh, space marine type dude. And wow, it'll be amazing. And (laughs) we'll all, you know, there'll be 150 million comments in the cabal and we'll all love it and that's brilliant but there'll be guys that will just paint the the arm pads a different slightly different color they don't need to do the complicated techniques um and you know do that to three or four of them put them on your shelf and you know maybe you do set a bright green and then you have a like an alien head that you've done yourself or that somebody you've bought at legion's gone you put that on the bright green guy with the with the green patches on the armor wow you know so there is a long, long way to go on this in terms of what you can do. This is wave one. I know you have wave two coming quickly behind it. Yeah. My most anticipated uh, cosmic is Novian Lean. I think Mal is, is there with me. It's what a figure. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're praying that, you know, that it has uh, it, that it's in time that it might be on your table at Legion's Con because there could be a couple of suitcases going from Newark Airport back to Europe <laughs> full I, of Novian leans. <laughs> I guarantee there'll be double figures of Novian lean coming back with because me if it's there. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful <laughs> figure. And like to, to have that type of figure in a wave two of a line, you know, wow. Yeah, I can't guarantee anything, but very strong possibility. That's way, the way things look right now. The way things look right now, I do believe that we will have uh, Wave 2 well before Legion's gone. Yeah, that would be awesome. And Novian's my favorite as well. And this is coming from someone who's handled it. Novian is... Listening to your conversation recently about, like, the sleepers of the wave, um, Novian was a massive sleeper. He was one that, for whatever reason... I mean, look, they all sold well. Like there's nothing that was just like, well, that was a massive miss. They all did well, but he was one that for whatever reason, didn't 
didn't strike the chord that some of the others did. Um, so he was, you know, in any wave, there's going to be the highest sellers and the lowest sellers, all the lower sellers. He was one of the lower ones and he's going to be wow. one that people kick themselves for. Well, yeah. just plus, I, just put another zero or another whatever, 100 or 200 of the, or 2000 even on the production number there for, for in stock. I'm sure you have space at the back of the warehouse for this guy. Because <laughs> it's I've funny got... because all the local retailers here on wave two, Novian is gone. Yep. Now he might come back into stock, you know, by the time they come into stock, but that generally doesn't happen. So I just want to, I just want to say, I called that as the sleeper. Just, just, <laughs> just throwing it out there for him to listen to the past episodes. Yeah, I've but, got four uh, of him on the way. So. I, yeah, well, well, now you've confirmed it, Jeremy. But I, I, I honestly thought he was so good that yeah, he was a sleeper in that maybe there wasn't. An, I didn't see much discussion on him at the time, but I couldn't imagine him actually being the real sleeper. You know, so I'll, I'll surprise you. You want to know who another sleeper is? Tusk Pilot. Tusk Pilot. Really? really? Wow. Amazing paint job. But I think that some people looked at it and said, well, I've got all those parts already coming with the Tusk Sentry and coming with this one. You know, I think that there was a sense, and again, sold very, very well. But compared to the others in that wave, he was one of the lower ones where I thought he was going to be one of the highest ones because he's my favorite in that wave. I love the Tusk. Oh, for sure. And it's that, you know, it's that almost black and red thing Yeah, it's, uh, with him. Yeah. And it's just the possibilities, you know, with his, his role as well as a pilot. Yeah. You know, you can, you can swap a few heads and then you've got sure. an entire unit there. You've got, you know, a squadron. But I often think that people are a bit casual about, oh, I've got all the parts and, but it's a lot of work to repaint a whole figure, even though we do it, but like, and I have some plans to do more for Legion's Con, I'm looking at it and go, God, I love painting heads. That's great. You know, you get a head, you do it in a few, in a few sessions. Especially one like that with all those metallics. Oh, it's like. Just trying, you know, if you're separating the parts out, you've suddenly, instead of getting, you know, two or three, heads on sticks you've got like 20 little yeah. sticks of, of stuff <laughs> and and then you, your paint dries up or you know somebody ring, rings you on the phone and you go away and you're like oh i haven't finished the leg and i had perfect paint mix and now, now i have to do it again you know because just all that stuff it's like that you don't factor in this is then where the sentry well the two the two particular legion builders in the newest wave are perfect because with the colors that they are they will take most dyes really really well so if mm. you're really up for doing that and giving it a go you can dye the joints and sure. i mean it does leave color on them and then you you know you've got your base coats and whatever else and but again with the sentry with i think that because of the base color that joint is going to never stand out no matter what you do you know i think and even on the white guy it's only lighter colors where the joint stands out. And if the joint is already white, mm -hmm. grand, you know. But uh, no, they're, they're going to be fun to customize. As I was saying to the guys, I think before we started, maybe before you joined, um, I'm kind of thinking I should probably customize my Legion builders already, even though I haven't got my extras. Um, but I think I can uh, can maybe do it. I like, to, I like to always, I know you're the same. I think you'd like to have at least one original version of every figure and uh i'm the same but uh legion builders there's a gray area there i think for me 
So here's a question, Jeremy. When when you were solicited uh, Valkatar Book One originally, they offered was it set, uh, cases of twenty five of the Legion twenty four? Yeah. Um, did anyone actually take them up? Did work? Did any of them sell? Many of them sell because I bet people are kicking themselves now if not. So I know I believe we offered cases of twelve and cases of twenty four. I know we sold some cases of 12 because um, I know Curtis Ackerman bought one. Uh, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> I feel like we sold one. I think we sold a couple cases of 24 of the century, but it was the 12s. Most people went for the 12s, not for the 24s. Yeah. I, I regret big time not picking not them up, but I wasn't really customizing so much at that point but now i'm like man all those parts you know <laughs> what, what could I, do with them i always say that when when they did the advent of decay kickstarter i bought uh i don't know i can't remember if it was a six pack or a 12 pack of goblin legion builders and the price on them was like 15 dollars like with the discount on that, it was like $15 for Legion Builders in that particular wave. It was absolutely crazy to, to think about paying that for those figures at that time. Yeah, I often go back and look at the first Kickstarter on Kickstarter, and I see the case. This was before you did the re first reinforcements wave, and the cases of Legion Builders, the six packs, and they're kind of towards the end of the of the text. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> Don't no. torture yourself, John. Don't do it. <laughs> no, I mean the reinforcements uh, that came last year softened the blow a bit on those, um, and I think uh, that's that was great. Um, so you, yeah, and just maybe mention reinforcements. So you did say in a recent update that uh, we speculated maybe it was going to slot into August. You said it's probably not August now. Well, I, I mean, I guess yeah. you know, probably definitely. Um, so. Nothing concrete to report there. Yeah, nothing that I can reveal and report outside of the fact that I did make a post that had said, because I obviously you see speculation. You see people saying, like, I'm going to go light on this order because I've got to save my money for the reinforcements drop that's going to happen next month. And when you know that's not happening, I mean, again, I'll put back on the marketing director hat. I don't want them not to buy this wave to save money for something that's not about. To so I'm like, so I let people know, I said, we do have a plan for reinforcements too. It's not happening right after all stars. In fact, we do not have a pre-order planned for July. So I know a lot of people were expecting that we were going to come, you know, right after all stars, we were going to do an in-stock drop for reinforcements. I just wanted to let them know, that is not what we are doing. And so can we expect something before GCon in terms of a pre-order or some sort of an order? I honestly don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. One of the challenges is, and this is one of the things that we struggle with when we build out the, the marketing calendar and the sales calendar is Finding that right mix of, you know, how much is too much, how little is too little, you know, and if you go back to that, we talked about Kickstarter, you know, 
there were two different camps of people as fans during the Kickstarter. There were those people that were like, okay, we just hit a stretch goal. Give me something else. Give me something else. Unlock more figures. That's all they wanted was more stuff to buy. And there was another group that was the exact opposite that was like, good Lord, stop. I cannot afford any more figures. Um, and you get that across the board. There are lots of fans who the minute a pre-order is done, they're like, what's next? What's next? And there are other people that are like, please give me a break. My wallet is hemorrhaging right now. So trying to find that mix of what makes the most sense, that's, you know, that's one of the challenges. So figuring out where to drop something, you know, reinforcements last time was not a pre-order. It was an in-stock drop. Trying to figure out where to drop in-stock drops amidst all the pre-order type stuff it is always something that is challenging as we try to balance the needs of the business with obviously the needs of the fans. Yeah. I mean, I think my perspective on it is you definitely, you, from your perspective, you should definitely should prioritize the needs of the business. Um, obviously you have a great uh, feeling for the community and all that. So there is a balance, but uh, I would definitely feel you guys should prioritize. And I think that's what didn't happen during COVID year, the first one, um, in that you really were very, very good to the fans in that year. But a lot of companies took advantage of the fact that there was a lot of money sloshing around from you know free handouts, and you probably missed out there for, as a company. Maybe not as a fan uh, community, so there's a difference there, of course. But uh, yeah, that is a tricky one for me. I always wonder, but it's a bit like when you described there the the you know the two type of fans. It's a bit like for me, I see it as the difference between the guy in the nightclub who's drinking drinks and drinks, and the other guys the designate driver who has to drive him home. You know, <laughs> it's a bit like those two guys, and there's probably a balance between the two. But uh, yeah, so it's it's hard to know what to do, isn't it? It is. And, you know, there's a, there's a sentiment that you don't have to buy everything. But the other side of that is, you know, there's a lot of collectors that if they can't collect them all, they don't want to collect any. So they're like, if this line becomes too difficult, too expensive for me to keep up with, it's just not worth it to me anymore. And we don't we don't want that. We don't want people to drop out of something they enjoy simply because it feels like it's gotten away from them. So we are always mindful. You know, you mentioned weighing the needs of the business, you know, maybe more than the needs of the fans. Um, our mentality is they're one and the same. Our mentality is that the needs of the fans are the needs of the business, that that's what we have to do. There is a reality, you know, yes, the fans would love it if we, drop the prices by half on everything we offer. That would be wonderful from a fan standpoint. That would be very bad from a business standpoint. So there is obviously a line that we can't cross, but trying to be mindful of that is, is always very, very important. Um, and it's why we get creative with stuff. It's why like when we have an opening in the schedule, we move all stars five up because we're like, well, we don't want to say to fans, there's going to be a delay. If we can't also say, but because of that, we're going to do something else good for you. We, we always do try that, that kind of give and take, you know, as, as an exchange for all the support that we get. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, it's, it's always, 
that thing of, you know, do you want to maximize profits? I don't think that's important. I think the, 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 the point is to make enough profit to keep the line going. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in the hotel, we were watching G-Con and it was clear to me when you were revealing these figures, uh, this is the Necronominous wave now, that you were making enough money off the figures to grow the business, but any excess wasn't getting swept into people's pockets and they were buying their Porsches and Ferraris. It was getting put back into the line to invest for the next forward. And, you know, there is eventually a point when, you know, we say Eric retires and, he, you know, of course he'll have a nice retirement out of the business and he will, uh, he should be very uh, well looked after in that point. But I think until then he's very happy with his life and he wants this to continue. Yeah. And the way to continue is to reinvest in the line. And I mean, obviously you can't do magic. So, you know, if, if it costs more, if China comes back in the morning and says, sorry, guys, their costs have gone up by 50%. What do you do? You know, you can eat some of it, but you probably can't eat all of it. So then you sure. have to go back to your fan base and go, but if there's a way of designing the figures and, you know, doing the accessories and the tooling and whatever, and, you know, making it look awesome, but still keeping the price the same, which is what I feel you're doing you know, carry on, you know, keep going. <laughs> you know, one thing that I love as a toy collector, we've heard for, you know, many times, I'm sure you've all heard this, where you see a prototype of something and the final product doesn't live up to it. And we hear, well, it was cost savings. We couldn't do all the paint applications. We had to remove these accessories. We had to do that. Um, that, okay, that's a business reality. We never deal with that. Like we... We don't build something and say, oh, we have to hit a certain price point. Like we build what we want to build and then we figure out, okay, what do we think this is going to cost? Because in a lot of cases, we, you know, make estimates on what we're going to be charged. Because when we do a lot of these pre-orders, we don't always have the exact numbers from the factory. Um, but we make smart decisions. And as you said, we're, we're not greedy. You know, this is something that this line has grown and we've said multiple times as a thank you to the fans rather than trying to milk them for you know additional money because other toy lines may be raising prices we focus on well how can we deliver consistent value but keep this manageable for our fans everyone's heard the complaints about things like you know shipping prices certainly all of you overseas have to deal with customs and import duties and all of that stuff, none of which comes to us or our business. The only thing we can control is the quality that we give you and the prices we charge you for the figures themselves. So keeping those as low as possible and the quality as high as possible, that's our focus. Yeah, I mean, and I think what, you know, for us, uh, additional to that and what you do do is you ship them properly, you fill out the forms correctly, it goes out into the world and ships and as you saw with my tactics saga, that was nothing to do with you yeah, guys. That was that was just a, a BS that was going on here locally. And it was literally just, yeah, they, they were going day by day in IT. You you were kind of yeah. related to IT at some stage yep. in your life, I think. Um, and they were obviously every day had a project call going, oh, is it fixed? You know, and it was like, yeah. and the poor customer at the end was just kind of going Once day by day. Did. And then they just said, we're releasing it. Because Monkey King then came a couple of days later, 
straight through okay. the normal process. And as I said on the podcast regularly, I never had problems with FedEx. And I've heard people before in, you know, in different countries saying, oh, FedEx in my country is not great. I always said it was great here because I got the figure and then afterwards I got the invoice for the customs. So, okay, the invoice for the customs is what it is and it was normally accurate for what I had to pay, so fine. Um, but I got the figure first. Whereas when, you know, with other companies, they want you to pay the money and then you get the figure. So that's always building in a couple of days into the process. But I loved the fact that they give you the figure and then you pay later, you pay your customs bill later. It's a kind of a trust based thing, but I feel like it's a kind of a trust based thing. But if you don't pay the bill, the next order you get in is not going to arrive at your doorstep. So, you know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're on the four horsemen train, you got to keep paying those bills, which and, and again, it's taxes. We all have to pay them. Oh, Fine. Yeah. You know, no problem. It's the cost of doing business, the cost of collecting. Um, but uh, fun. But going back to what you were saying about uh, producing, you know, prototypes versus uh, actually what you get. I think that's what also you're really good at is and, and you're painters. So we talk about Sherry mm -hmm. and Cameron, especially yeah. here. I know yeah. there's Joe paints as well. You know what the factory can deliver. Mm -hmm. So they know. Now, now they sometimes push it, I'm sure, you know, and, and there has to be a bit of back and forward with the factory, but they generally know what the factory can deliver. Like I can imagine if you said to Sherry, build the best custom you can possibly do, she'd blow us all away, you know, you know, and it'd be factory paint job plus a thousand, you know, but her job is to, you paint to the super level of quality. Uh, that the factory will deliver on that the person that saw the picture on the website when they ordered it they get it in hand and go wow that's exactly so, what i ordered you know so taking nothing away from sherry and cameron because they are amazing at what they do this is actually a, a testament to how great the factory is um you know one of the things that's really was very fortunate for us is our factories that produce our figures are dedicated to our products. So these are not getting made in factories where tons of other stuff is getting made and we're just another customer. We have a very strong relationship with these factories. You know, prior to COVID, Chris had spent, a, you know, a decent amount of time at those factories. Um, he's maintained communication they have really good skilled workers. It's amazing to see what they can do there. So I can tell you that Eric never looks at paint jobs and says, oh, that's too complex. The factory can't do that. Um, the fact that they come out as close as they do to the prototypes is, again, a testament to the skill level at the factory and the work that Chris puts in to making sure that these are done correctly. You know, there are some times where I get frustrated that we have another delay. You know, I hear, oh, paint samples came in and I'm like, how do they look? And he says, oh, they're good, but we got some changes. I don't want to hear we've got some changes. I want to hear their perfect production is starting now. They'll be in in a month. That's what I want to hear. But I appreciate the fact that Chris, above all others, refuses to cut those corners. Eric refuses to cut those corners because he knows that delays are unfortunate, but they're not as bad as getting something on time and looking at it and saying, this 
This isn't what I ordered. This isn't what I expected at all. We want, when you open it up, we hear all the time fans say, you know, the photos don't do them justice. They're better when you open them up and everything. <laughs> Barring that, that, that subtle insult to Trevor that's not intentional, that's what we want. And the way that happens is through that quality control. Yeah, I'm looking down at my Cosmics on the floor here and I'm like, yeah, he's he's talking. He's not talking BS here. He's actually talking the truth. And if you, anyone that's got any of the Cosmic test shots, especially the Sphexians. Yeah, I have can, one. So if you, John, if you can pair yeah. that Cosmic test shot Sphexian to the final product, they're night and day. Yeah. Like we couldn't have released those Sphexians. If we would have released on time, that's what you would have gotten. You would have got that kind of floppy, the hands falling out and stuff. That is a perfect example of what happens in those few months going from that point to ready to produce. Yeah, because I, like the kid had the Sphexian and he was putting in the wing and I was like, oh, no, don't. Because I just had the I had the test shot and I was like, oh, you can, you're going to break it. Oh, he slotted in the wing, no problem. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even need to heat it for the wing. They still needed to heat it a bit for the, the, arms, the yeah. claw, the front arms. They're they're a little bit more difficult, but the wings were yep. smooth, you know, and that's the small pegs. It's not the big pegs like Arith here, for example, but uh, worked great. And uh, those wings are great. Oh my God. That was, a, that was like, I, I thought when I got the Sphexian test shot, it would kind of take away the excitement from getting the actual figure in. But I still had to get it. But the but even just the translucent wings and the paint. And he, he straight away was like, because I told you he wants the guard, but he's like, I want the green wings from the other guy. <laughs> so he already is trying to mix and match. I, I feel so bad, John. You and I are just talking about these. And I, Mal and Rich, I just feel so oh, bad yeah, that they're, they're just like. And I feel terrible for Mal. I almost feel like I'm going to send him one, okay. you know? <laughs> yes, so guys, shipping. Yes, guys, shipping notice. But they, they were greedy. I just went for an all in. I was broke. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, relatively, it's even worse. relatively broke okay you know i, know I don't we're, we're we're talking first world problems here but i just went straight all in boom done he, he started putting extras in his car i do I, yeah i don't understand what i was even thinking because all i did was order one extra century oh. and then i put two other orders in anyway so it's like <laughs> why didn't i just but that's what i've learned there. now is like if if, we, if you want they an all in i normally go day one if i have the cash all in and then you've got the month to six weeks of the pre-order to decide if you want to order more direct. And then you've got a couple of months of the retailer to decide. That's my tactic. Um, but generally, it's an all-in if I can afford it, which luckily I have been able to in the last couple of years. So let's, hey, on the, let's keep On the it. plus side, Mal, at least he feels bad for you. I didn't get a mention. <laughs> like, thank you, Jeremy. But like John's like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, he can do that. He's yeah. been banging on about Cosmic for the last 10 episodes, you know, or maybe, what are we, 18 now? He's probably, yeah, probably 18 episodes of like, I can't wait for Cosmic. You're going to get 10 episodes out of Cosmic as well. Yeah, like, <laughs> when you get your, so next week, if you get your Cosmic all in, you can do the welcome to episode 19 thing. <laughs> It's Mal's Cosmic Legion's show. Pew, 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 in the background. <laughs> so what is uh I know I know I watched I watched your show yes uh this morning on replay um as much as I could. Um but what is your favorite wave one, Jeremy again? Uh, I really like the deluxe Thigar figure. Mm. Uh you know, it's no secret that Thigar is one of our heroes. 
you know, in the story. And the grave ring one, the one that's got the shirtless, got so much attention because, I mean, it looks so cool and it's got more of the reptilian style look with that body and everything. But right from the get-go, I really liked the deluxe version, the fully armored version. Um, that was the one I was most excited to open, and it's the one that absolutely... I mean, they all lived up to my expectations, but that's one that I just absolutely love everything about it. The colors, the, the parts used on it, just the way it moves. That that deluxe Thigar is my favorite. And there's a subtle difference in the in the heads, uh, you know, the between the two figures, the tiger one is. and the kind of horns. Uh, I guess there's a bit of story there somewhere coming it up. Is there is a subtle difference. So the one that's in the suit is how Thigar appears at the very start of the story. The way that the other one looks with the different type look, that's going to be a little bit later in the story at that point. He's already been transferred to cell block five down in Valkatar. So, yeah, there's some changes happening out there on Thygar. And tell us about Slug. Why does he have a picture of himself on that little receiver? So that's that, that's his monitor. So, the you know, if you see Slug's bio, he was... Okay, that's, that's him yeah, looking that's at why he's going to stay life support type systems okay. that that suit he's wearing is what's basically keeping him alive so that little monitor is basically you know sensors for what's going on internally okay yeah because i read the bio to to ben my my son and he was like and i said you can take out the little canisters and he was like yeah but if you take them out he's gonna die, he's gonna die. exactly <laughs> that's a, that's like the thyroxium that keeps yeah. him going yeah, and he's and he's chained to the prison then because mm -hmm. that's where they produce the thyrixium. Mm -hmm. so, just, uh, just going back to Thygar, Jeremy, which is your favorite head? Which one are you thinking you're going to uh, display him with? So without a doubt, the one that's got like the unique helmet, not the bubble on top. Um, I mean, from a very practical standpoint, there are other characters that have the big bubble. So and the other Thygar, even though the heads do have some differences. At a quick glance, they're similar enough that displaying the grave ring with the fully unhelmeted head makes sense. So the other one, I like the helmet that looks like it's kind of conforms to his head. That is, that's my favorite one. Yeah. So can I take us away from Cosmic? And I'm sorry, Mal. I know that's you right. love the Cosmic, Jeez. but let's take us away. <laughs> so in terms of mythics, I'm doing mythics because there's been more waves of those. How many figures or ideas would you say on average are dropped from the final wave that's released? Not a lot really gets dropped. Um, so, so many of the characters in a brand new wave, like if we're talking like one of the G-Con style waves, a Poxus wave or an Necronominus. Necronominus is a little weird because right from the get-go, there was we knew there was too much to get into that. Eric had so many ideas that we knew we were going to have to extend that into All Stars. But barring that, the other waves like Poxus and Elithia and so forth, you know, Eric kind of just figures out the types of characters he wants, and then as he's sculpting, he sculpts additional parts, you know, variations of things, um, so we can have those additional parts 
in the tooling library to use for stuff later. So there's not a ton of actual ideas that get dropped. There's a lot of ideas that get discussed. So there's a lot of things, and this is one of our biggest challenges going back to what we were talking about, finding time to do these things and still be you know, cognizant of fans' wallets. Um, there's so many things we want to do. You know, all the things that you guys talk about that you'd love to see, yeah, agreed. We'd love to see those too. We have so many ideas. It's just finding ways to get them into a wave, to get them into the line in a way that actually makes sense. So lots of ideas. I wouldn't say they get dropped. It's just not their time to come to reality yet. No, that makes sense. Yeah, so that does make a lot of sense. So I think uh, since we started talking about Mythics, it's probably a good idea to let everyone know about the end of the pre-order, isn't it, this coming weekend for, it is. for the All-Stars 6? It is. So, yeah, everyone get onto that if you want to. You've got another couple of days. So this will drop later tomorrow, I think, won't it, John, Friday? Yeah, it depends on my well. morning goes tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all being well. So, yeah. But it's the 9th of July, isn't it? That's the, yeah. uh, the cutoff for it. Yeah, 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 Sunday, July 9th at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Um, that's when the store horseman pre-order will be done. And how's it been going, Jeremy? It's great. Are you guys happy? Yeah, yeah it's great. I mean, it, no surprise. The Necronominous wave, we knew that was going to be a big wave. It's far exceeded our expectations. Um, but the skeletons and the knights tend to be our two most popular character types. Vampires are also very popular, which I know you'll appreciate that, but skeletons and knights are our two most popular. Um, so we knew that that wave was going to be very successful, totally blew us away, as we expected with All-Stars being a follow-up to it. Again, similar themes, similar character types, also very, very popular. So, you know, we still, the final weekend is always a bit of a, a blur because so many people wait until the last minute. And I kid you not, the last minute. Like, yeah, that's crazy. There will be people that put in orders at 1101. And I'm just like, what are you thinking? Like, do you get some perverse, like, thrill out of waiting till the last? actual possible moment um but based on what we're seeing now it's another very very popular wave so huge thank you to all the legionnaires for throwing their support behind this wave that's wonderful to hear and yeah we talked about so we talked about scally bone splitter because he's a skeleton dwarf mm -hmm. and my feeling on him is i don't know when you're going to do another skeleton dwarf you know i mean you might know, maybe you even you don't know yet. Um, so, and I mean, I know that part comes with the tuberculosis as well, but that's you know, that's a pretty big figure to be pulling parts from just for making a skeleton dwarf. So, even something like that, if if you're thinking, okay, maybe I want to have a little crew of skeleton dwarfs. Like if I'm looking at Rich there and he's already sweating, going, oh yeah, I need another six scallies, you know, that's the kind of thing that you have to think about when you're deep in this line it's not okay we all want one for our shelf it's wonderful but just think about the unique stuff across the odd figure or two or whatever sure. and think about the potential reuse and when that character might come back and if you've done two necronominous waves 
yeah, okay, it's going to be a couple of years maybe before the skeletons get a, a more focus again, possibly, you know, or or if there is skeletons, yeah. it mightn't be a dwarf skeleton, you know, for example. Yeah, I mean, a dwarf skeleton is such a specific yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. character. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of other skeleton dwarf designs that were itching to get out there. Doesn't mean that it won't ever happen again, but yeah, it's less likely that you'll see something like that versus something that's a little more general. Um, and to your point, it's a good one. After two very popular ways focusing on skeletons and knights with Necronominus and Etheron, um, I don't know. I don't know how quickly we're going to get back to those type of character types. Um, I will, however, John, say that one of my goals... So you've been a little harsh on the Order of Etheron, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just because, it's just because I got I had such a Catholic upbringing and I, I kind of feel compelled to rebel a little bit against it. Although, I mean, I have no problem with religion. It's not for, it's not for me particularly these days, but... Uh, like my you know my mother is very religious still and mm -hmm. all that but i still have this instinct to kind of have treat them with a little bit of suspicion and i always said about the order of vitron now, now i'll have this on the record again is that the characters are amazing mm -hmm. it's the concept that annoys me but i still like it in the lore because the, it needs it you know yeah it, it, you know the, you, you wouldn't be right without it but i do yeah i'm, I'm happy to 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 throw some shade their way that's for sure so one of my goals in like the story and stuff is to have you read you know their kind of sections and everything and kind of say awesome. you know what they are pretty good they, they are i do i do kind of yeah, like yeah but i even even on the all-star six when you know with all the stuff that between your shows and between what mm -hmm. you know uh, your uh show with joe afterwards and even the live stream yeah, you really did put across that these are nice guys, which <laughs> is like, so, that sucked to well, be, but yeah, it was awesome, you know? And I'll say this. So I also had a religious upbringing. I, you know, I am religious, um, not evangelical, but religious. I feel like there have been so many stories where religion has been painted as the villains that. I love the idea of what if someone is religious and pious and actually true? Like, they are all the things that religion aspires to be. Like, what if there's a character that actually is that? To me, that's something we don't see very often. So that's really, that's really interesting to me, a character that is who they say they are, you know, a group that is who they say they are. Now, as you know, with the Order of Etheron, they've been through some dark times. There are plenty of people that, you know, were false and they used religion as, you know, a false shield to further their own greedy ambitions. But a character like Sir Gideon, he's genuinely a good and pious and heroic type person. And a character like that is fun to write because there's so few of them I feel like out there. It's kind of like Captain America. Captain America is silly in how true and honest he is, but he's still true and honest like that. That's an interesting character. Yeah, because you can also make him almost self-sabotage himself because of his values, sure. you know? Yep. 
and the key thing with the Order of Etheron, John, is that the Templars are in there. They and are. as everybody knows, the Templars Curtis Ackerman and I have been messaging back and forth about how many Sir Elijahs versus how many Sir Enochs is it that we want to get and whether that replaces the Templars we already have and this sort of stuff. But yeah. yeah, I have the feeling in you know a year or two's time, whenever you know all these Templars drop, that there might be a, a thriving market for original Templars, you know, plastic, uh, shall we say, plastic belt, torso Templars. Um, it'll definitely be a fun time to be a Templar collector one way or the other. Well, I think the other, other thing about the Necronominous wave and the All-Star 6 as the continuation of that is it yet again, you see the development and I don't like saying improvement because I really like what's already there and what's been in previously, but the but the continue, let's say the continuous improvement of the line and how... I mean, some of them are just mind-blowingly good, you know. I yeah. mean, like Monkey King recently. Mm-hmm. I reckon they will, as much as you go, oh, wow, this is incredible. I reckon when they turn up and are in hand, it's going to be that same reaction of, wow. You know? When when you all get the new night bodies in hand, the first time I held a test shot of the new night body, it was a bizarre experience because it was you're posing it and it feels so different yet so familiar like it's clearly a legion but the way it moves the way the arms pose and everything it's like it's like just opening a new door it's like you're 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 there and then all of a sudden it's like a whole new skill set gets opened up or something and you have an access to a different part of your brain or something i don't know it's very, very impressive. It's going to feel like a Legion. I, I genuinely cannot wait for people to get those because I think that, you know, especially a lot of the people that have complained about the articulation scheme, you know, when they see what we were able to do while still maintaining the Legion's aesthetic, I think that it's going to be a very impressive moment where they're going to say, wow, they really pushed the envelope there. They created something very, very special that got us what we wanted, more range of motion, without sacrificing what we love, that Legion's aesthetic. Yeah, that for me was so important. If you went double joint elbows, I'd have been like, oh, you know, it's like, I just love the fact that you can look at them at some, in certain poses and go, is that an action figure? You know? Yeah. Uh, that's Agreed. important to me. and. You solved the kind of, you know, shall we say, the more range of motion with the mm-hmm. arms, maybe the, you know, the classic two-handed sword mm-hmm. pose or whatever you want to, yeah. you know, the things that were difficult to do with the original 1.0s. That way is so much better. It's just, yeah. and, and it. I totally believe you. And and the best thing is then with the soft goods over it, it probably still bulks it out enough that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't lose that chunkiness you know well what's interesting is i really thought that a lot of it was going to be in the torso it, yeah. it's all in the arms like the yeah. tor- the new torso gives a little extra motion but if you put the old arms on the new torso you're going to have the same problems the same okay, limited so there's range. a little tooling difference in it's the a new little arms, bit makes a difference. but it's so much in the arms i mean if you look at we'll take a knight if you look at like an original templar knight rich that that shoulder and not shoulder elbow armor 
that is what hinders so much of the movement because it's so bulky. If you compare that big bulky strap across the inside of the elbow to what you see on the new figures with that much smaller strap, there's that's where a big part of the range of motion is. So you get a little bit in the shoulders, but really to strike those poses that everyone was talking about, it's very much in the arms. So much so that we took some of the new arms, put it on an old torso, I think it was a red shield soldier torso, and hit all the exact same poses. So it's not only like, well, you need the combination of new arms, new torso to get this. No, if you have the new arms, older torso, you're still going to be able to get an improved range of motion. I can I can actually hear my wallet crying in the uh, in the hall now. Going, oh God, that's more Elijah's. That's more Enoch's. No. So your wife, who's in, she's also an early to bed person. She's she's woken up because she's like, what this noise from the hall? Oh, it's yeah, Richard's yeah. Damn. What the hell? Enoch's a great figure. Enoch is. Yeah. I think that anyone that argues that he's the best Templar that we've done, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't go against that argument. He's an amazing, amazing figure. Yeah, it's like I've ordered an all-in, and uh, I'm thinking I'm going to get more from the retailers, but I'm also looking at Enoch going, oh, would it not just make more sense to order a load of him direct now at the weekend? But it's, yeah. He's so loaded. Between the weapons and the soft Stop it, Jeremy, stop it. Yeah, no, you're right. It it is excellent fit, and even the head sculpt. I mean, I know. Okay, if you want to do a shelf of them, you you can't have ten of that helps head sculpt. You need yeah. the helmets, but the head sculpt is excellent. You know, even just dropping a couple of different beard colors on him or something, you know, could. Ver- I was going to say, and even them. the helmets with the the two amazing helmet attachments. Oh yeah, I need three of them straight away. I need a, the wings. The wings the on that helmet. Yes. Yeah. That was, I mean, I mean we had a, a fan and yeah, we had yeah. yeah we had a long conversation just about that helmet and the attachments in our in our little messenger thread after that reveal. I I told the story before, but you know when we built that figure, Eric wanted the the Dark Templar head, and I said, "What attachments?" And he said, "Well, the the ones that come with the Dark Templar, like the the kind of scallop looking ones." And I remember saying, "Well, you know what? He's a messenger." He's, you know, riding and stuff. Let's let's pull the wings, like the smaller wings on like Freya, just to see, because that might be kind of cool. And Eric said, okay, we'll pull them and paint them up and see what they look like. And it was so funny that they get painted and I'm just like, well, which one should we include? And he's like, both of them. I was like, it wasn't even, they both look cool. We got to include them both. You know, we were joking with Enoch. Oh, we and, love you, Eric. Well, we were joking with Enoch and Thoracis because let's be honest, those are deluxe figures. The fact that they're not oh, yeah. deluxe prices is silly. And we were joking because Chris and I were talking and he's like, how much are those? Are they regular or deluxe? And I said to him, I said, well, they should be deluxe, but you know, Eric's going to say, make them regular. And as soon as we went to Eric and said, are these regular, are these standard figures or deluxe? He was like, well, I really like them to come in at standard. Do you think the price will support that? And Chris was like, we'll make it work. Don't worry about it. They came in it. Standard prices. Again, those those are definitely thank yous to the fans um, because those are just loaded, loaded figures with pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all those guys with their uh, carts at Legion's Con who fill them up at... Uh, <laughs> and absolutely, they should do that if they can. 
if I had a if I had a truck that I could drive to Legion's Con, I'd be doing the same. I can tell you that much. But uh, now's your chance. Just buy yeah. buckets, bucket loads of Tarasis and Enoch, because they will serve you well, whether it be on the secondary market in the future or army building on your shelves or parting out for customs. I mean, there's a whole like look at Tarasis. There's a whole $37 worth of soft goods there that you could just sell on eBay if, if that's how you feel and oh, you've yeah. got a skelly left. You know, like getting down to brass tacks here, you know, okay, it's an investment. It's a, it's a year and a half's investment, we'd say, you know, worst case scenario with the pre-order. But at the end of the day, that's what you have. Yep. That's the value there. All you're paying for, oh, you know, the only cost now is time after you've paid. So with Thorasis, I don't know about you, but so he comes with that Necronominus banner, which I think one of the things we're going to try to do with that, because the Necronominus logo, it's not super obvious on that purple, black on purple. So I think we're going to try to do the logo in a little bit of a shinier type material. So it's got a little bit of a gleam to it. Um, But for my display, Thorasis doesn't get that that banner like i feel like there needs to be a couple like standard bearers that are marching out like undead standard bearers marching out in front of the procession of necronominus um you know again back to kind of religion i mean those two factions are meant to be kind of two different sides of the religious coin you know there's i know a lot of people talked about you know, not loving or not a lot, but some people didn't love the look of Necronominus because they wanted it to be more like Maxilius, more like a Grim Reaper. Um, Necronominus is supposed to look like a Pope. Like he's supposed to have that very, you know, papal type look to him, you know, but I imagine this procession with these standard bearers holding those flags and this undead army, the children of Necronominus, you know, and then you've got Maxilius, who is like a weird uncle type character who's just like, you know, we said, just reaping fields for Necronominus to come. And, you know, Necronominus has his two youngest children by his side, Baradak and Belulith, and he's got Conibus, and they're just marching. I mean, that vision is something that I can clearly see in my head. So, I don't know what my standard bearers look like yet, but I definitely know that I need multiple Thrasis so I can have a couple of those flags. And don't forget, he comes with the deadly shield as well. I he mean, does. You know, you know, you got the yeah, you got the stand, like you got everything with him. I mean, I will give him the shield. I will give him the shield because yeah. the way that we wrote it is that shield is like a symbol. Like he he has the honor of using that shield because he's the eldest. So I will part out the banners, but I'll keep the, the shield with him. Yeah, we mentioned before, uh, maybe on the last episode, about the, the shields from some of the other factions, like that came in the two-pack, mm-hmm. uh, that they might in the future be available in a more easy-to-get to fashion. Is that Are you asking me the if the, the figures that are in the two-pack will be available? No, not the figures, the shields. So, like, for example, the Arathir shield with the you know the pop-out shield so something that might ever be available again in the future with another character again you never never say never of Um, course yeah that shield so unlike the 
Xylona shield that we packaged with the Xylernian guard. We wrote that to be something that a, a group of, you know, army type characters wield. Very reasonably so, because Artemis would be ridiculous with that shield. She's not the kind of character that would carry that. Um, in the case of Attila and Gorgo, they have those shields. So will we ever write a character that has a similar type shield that, that they could actually re-release it? Possible. There's no plans to do so, but it is possible. Um, I will say that one thing we are looking into doing with the shields is... Actually, we're seeing if the factory has the C-clips available anymore because we're talking about maybe packing those big heavy shields with both the handle and the C-clip, um, which is interesting because we got away from the C-clips for a certain reason and went to the handles. The handles, I think, were great, but on the really big heavy ones, they're a little too heavy sometimes. So we're looking to see what that possibility is. When we told Chris we wanted to do that, he almost hit us. Because he said, I told the factory to destroy those and don't ever use them again. Oh, no. And we were like, well, you shouldn't have done that. So we're seeing if those actually exist. But beyond that, we've also had talk about redesigning the, the shield handles to something else for the future. So that's not a short-term fix. But for someone like Thoracis, we're looking into seeing if the possibility of offering both clips, both the clip and the handle, is even possible. Yeah. Very good. I mean, you've always got, you know, you had belts pack, shields pack. <laughs> Possibly. <right? laughs> Possibly, you know, you know, that just saying. an amazing display piece, yeah, wouldn't it? Would be very cool. The, uh, well, I, I mean, it'd be bad for the 3D parts makers because I would just buy two dozen shields pack <laughs> and that's all I'd think <laughs> the rest of my life. Or, so... Just talking about something like that, to like the C-Clips, which is, you know, horsemen doing what they do quite a lot of and listening to the fans and, and wanting to be sure the fans get what they want slash need. Talk about Deacon and, and how uh, we've got um, Thalius uh, being re-released, essentially. Uh, I mean, that's amazing because yeah. I didn't think to get him previously and here you go, there's another opportunity to get him. That's... So you're asking what that process was? I'm um, just commenting yeah. on it. Uh, um, that uh, I think it's very cool that they're doing that, and uh, yeah, please feel free to. So, so talk about it. he was a character, not Deacon per se, but the Templar style horse was one of the figures that was going to be in the Necronomicon wave. And as we were talking through the lineup, we were like, okay, we can't do three horses. That's too much. And then we said, well, do we maybe do like Gideon's horse and then like a Templar tax set so you can like swap them? But then we realized we were like, well, then you're going to have to buy a Gideon horse, strip all the stuff off it, put the, the Templar tack on it. And you're going to end up with all this extra soft goods that you don't use. And especially if you want to like Legion build Templar horses, you're going to have a whole bunch of unused Gideon parts. And it means that every one of your Temple horses is going to be white like Gideon. And Eric had said right out of the gate that he would prefer the Templar parts on a brown horse. So when we said, you know what, we're going to do stuff in All-Star 6. Let's move the Templar horse to All-Star 6. Um, and we did name Bishop and Deacon at the same time. Let's move Deacon to All-Star 6. And the idea, we said, well, if it's going to be a brown horse, why don't we just make it Balius? You know, I know a lot of people want Balius. And there was some debate. 
about whether that was cheating, like whether that was cheap. Like, are fans going to be mad that we're just reissuing Valius? Do they want something different, some different deco? Um, and, you know, ultimately we said, well, it's so covered up anyway. If, you know, if they're going to display it as the Temple of Horse, it almost doesn't matter if we change the deco, it's going to be hidden. So we get no benefit by changing the deck or if we're going to hide it, but there is the benefit by keeping it like Valius and giving that sneaky kind of all-stars reissue in there as well. Yeah, I love yeah. that, man. I love yeah, that. great idea. Yeah, just, it made sense, yeah. you know, it's a fun way to get that because Valius is a great, like, generic horse, so getting fans who don't want to go secondary market another opportunity at that that's great. And if you want to have a couple Templar horses, the way I look at it is this. Say you don't have a Balius. Buy yourself two, but you have a Boreas, which is much easier to come by. Buy yourself two Deacons, pull the soft goods in one, put them on Boreas. Now you've got two Templar horses that are different colors and you've got your Balius. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, and Boreas is a wonderful horse too. Oh yeah. To My favorite of the horses, actually. Okay, guys, have you got any more for Jeremy before we do a bit of rapid fire? I've got one here. more sort of yeah. marketing and sales manager type question yeah. before we got onto the like, yeah. Jeremy as a customizer type thing. Mm -hmm. So can you see the Four Horsemen products getting into big box stores eventually? Or is that something even that you want to do? We've talked about it. We've talked about whether or not that's feasible. And I don't – we're always looking for new sales channels. We're always looking for ways to expand the brand. And again, never say never, but I don't know that we're going to get a lot of benefit of trying to go with, you know, to your term, the big box stores. I mean, first off, without there being a strong entertainment property behind what we're doing, I think it's a totally uphill battle to try to get it into stores like Target or Walmart or so forth here in the U.S., um, you know, there are other kinds of retail stores that I think they would do much better in that I would we would certainly love to talk to them and consider that. But, you know, we've gotten ourselves to where we are by focusing on the fans and focusing on our retailers. You know, we work really hard to have a great relationship with our retailers. Um, I consistently I'm lucky to be the one that gets to talk to them and I consistently hear their appreciation for how we treat them. We don't ever want to do something that reaches for maybe a different class, a different scale of retailers at the expense of all the people that already got us here, that got us to where we are. So it really depends. You know, I think some of our products like Figura Obscura would do wonderfully well in certain stores. So there's always opportunities for that. But one thing, as I said, we always want to consider is how does this impact the people that are already supporting the line? Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you, Jeremy. So just a quick one on the monkey King. How long ago did that process start with the monkey King? Do you know? So Eric started actually sculpting monkey King. I was looking at, the actual like fine cuts of it last PowerCon. So that was last August and fine cuts is pretty deep into the process. So Eric, I believe was working on monkey King probably like the summer before that. Um, so that would be summer of like 2022, I guess. No, 2021. 
No, that wouldn't be. No, that would be too. Yeah. He started that shortly. Uh, so I think it was shortly after, shortly after the holidays, he started that. Yes, that's it. Shortly after the holidays, after the Father Christmas and everything. Um, yeah. The, excuse me, the Krampus one, he started that one. Yeah, because it's a spectacular figure. I mean, whoa. Yeah, it's blowing yeah, it's, people it's away. To, it's, it's hard to describe. I mean, and even with Cosmic Legions, yeah, it, it's, a, it's the same thing. But like Monkey King, so many new parts. Uh, it's on the same buck system and everything. But yeah, it's hard to believe, you know. And again, I've said this before, but very much an example of what the success of Figura Obscura allows us to do. You know, when you look at Krampus, when you look at uh, Headless Horseman, as great as those figures are, they're 90% existing legions and 10% new parts to build out that character. You look at Monkey King, it's literally the opposite. It's like 10% parts that, you know, we had, like the arms and legs, and then all you know, 90% brand new pieces and accessories, you're going to see more of that style for Figure Obscura because, frankly, the minute that the sales justify doing that, that's what Eric wants to do anyway. He wants to sculpt all new pieces, um, and this gives him the opportunity to do that. I, I think I recently talked about this. Uh, we were working on another project, and it was supposed to use a lot of existing tooling. And Eric literally said, well, this one will be fast because it's going to use a lot of existing tooling. He re-sculpted the darn, the entire thing. <laughs> like head to toe did all new parts for this figure. Um, and it's great. We're going to get a ton of use out of the work he did, but it's indicative of that commitment to if the sales are there, to support us going above and beyond and giving brand new parts like that, by golly, we're going to do it. Yeah, but it's, it's, that speaks to me because sometimes even with this podcast, you know, I'll be editing it and I'll suddenly just go back and go, no, I, I could do a bit more there. You know, at that section, it just isn't back. And it might be a big thing, but it costs you 20 minutes. Ooh. Okay, small thing in, in regards to, you know, retooling in an action figure. But I get that kind of reflex is that you want it to be the best it can be in what you can deliver within a certain time frame. And if I know I have, okay, I have another hour to do this before I need to do a whole lot of other stuff and I can fit that into an hour, I'm probably going to do it, even though I could probably be finished in 20 minutes and have 40 minutes free. But I'm thinking, oh, I'll just take the whole hour and just do it now at this point, you know, because I'm invested in it. And I think that's a bit the kind of attitude it is. So, Jeremy, you're a, you're a fan of Europe. I've seen some of your holiday photos over the last years. Tell us a little bit about where you've been to in Europe. And I know you've been to my home country in Ireland last year, I think I saw you. I've been to Ireland twice, actually. I was, I was a little jealous of your little trip last year because... Uh, you went to some places I haven't been even. It was very cool. So so where have you been? Tell us where you've been. So I have been to Ireland. I've been to Ireland twice. Um, uh, the first time I went there a couple of years ago, uh, I was mostly in Dublin, but we did a couple 
day trips as well. We went out to the Cliffs of Moore um, and we went to one of the coolest places I've ever been, a place called Newgrange. Are you familiar with oh, Newgrange? Yeah, yeah. We're on the 21st of December every year. They oh. have this thing with the solstice where the, the sun shines yes. exactly through that little hole I mean, and lights it up. For those who don't know, you know, Newgrange is a place that when I talk to people, they're like, oh, I've never heard of it. It's 500 years older than Stonehenge. Uh, no, excuse me, 500 years older than the Great Pyramids, a thousand years older than Stonehenge. And most people have heard of both Stonehenge and the pyramids. Um, but it's this like burial mound that was created with no modern tools. And to your point, John, uh, when they have the winter solstice, the, uh, the light shines in through this like light box that was created again with no modern tools or engineering. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing place. Um, I went back uh, last year to Ireland as well. And that time we spent more time. We rented a house on the West coast, uh, the wild Atlantic way. Where were you on the West coast? Uh, We were in a place called Liz Duvana. Oh yeah. Right right outside of Doolin. There's a very uh, famous festival that happens every year in Liston Werner. It's a matchmaking festival. Yes, I saw signs for it. Yeah, I saw yeah, signs yeah. all over for it. It's very, now, it's it's obviously evolved over the years, but it was, uh, it was a very famous thing where basically the old farmers used to try and come and find a wife yep. at the Liston Werner yep. festival. And so Ireland is great. What a place. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do. I'm not much of a big city type person. Um, so I... Dublin was cool, but I definitely prefer the countryside out out west near the Cliffs of Moher. Um, beautiful area. Um, so I did go to Scotland this year. Uh, spent a couple spent a couple days in Scotland. That was enjoyable as well. We went to Edinburgh, which was a beautiful city. Wonderful, wonderful place. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I have been to London. Uh, when we went to London, we did some excursions there as well. So I did do a day trip out to Stonehenge. That was a lot of fun. Uh, where else have I been? Um, I, I've been to Paris, France. Um, probably one of my probably so arguably my favorite place I've been in Europe was to Munich, Germany. Oh, cool! For so the Oktoberfest, we we did not go we to Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. We actually went a few months later to the Christmas markets. Oh, cool! That's probably better because Oktoberfest yeah. is just is tourist crazy, nightmare. I've heard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've heard it's become very commercial. Yeah. But we we went to Munich, Germany, actually December 2019. So it was right oh, wow. before just the entire before, world, yeah. yeah, right before the world shut down for COVID. And what I loved about it was there were so many locals that were enjoying the Christmas festivals. Like it wasn't like it was a tourist attraction. There were tourists there, but it was locals that were out there that were having brats and having beers and just enjoying themselves and listening to music. Um, so I very, very much liked uh, Munich, Germany as well. Uh, I think that's, so Iceland isn't Europe, but it kind of sometimes gets. Grouped. It is, yeah, you know, it's it's technically Europe, yeah. Okay, so not you can, okay. European Union. I'm not going to argue Europe, with yeah. the Euro Legions yeah. crew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's Europe. It's yeah, not it's that. not European Union. It's okay. like it's like Great Britain, where our two friends here yes. are sitting. Yeah. So I've been to Iceland twice. Iceland oh. is probably my favorite place I've ever been. Um, and it's I an am, amazing spot. I've never been, but I know some people from there. Unbelievable. And I know obviously a bit about it. But unbelievable. Wow. Um, so yeah. it, it's interestingly for all these places I'm talking about, I'm actually a very nervous traveler. 
I get yeah. a lot of anxiety when I travel. So my way to combat that is I just do it. I just, I travel. Yeah. And for my 40th birthday was the first time that uh, I traveled like really outside of the U.S., like internationally. And mm -hmm. we went to Iceland and it was a life-changing experience. So all these other places, Paris, you know, uh, like I said, uh, two times in Ireland, Germany, Scotland, London, all these happened after my 40th birthday. It's, I'm 48 right now. So all those are in the last eight years. For my 50th birthday, I'm hoping to go back to Iceland and do what's called driving the ring road. There's a uh, route one goes around the entire island. It's about 800 ish miles. So I'm hoping to go and rent a camper van and just drive around the Ooh. entire country and see all the stuff I haven't seen. Yeah, because they have, in terms of kind of raw nature kind of yeah. stuff, they have. And it's a very, it's a small population. There's 300,000 people in Iceland, something like this. Yes. Um, and they have, you know, the, the volcanoes, yeah. the kind of all this, the geysers, those things yeah. that spray water just randomly from the, from the earth. So where, um, where I live here in the United States in Rhode Island, yeah. um, my state of Rhode Island is like a tiny, tiny fraction of the size of Iceland. And we have like three times as many people here in Rhode Island as that entire country. So that gives you a sense. But let me ask you guys, being over in Europe, being Euro-legions, where haven't I been that I should consider going? So you've obviously been to Ireland. That's my hometown. Um, you definitely should go to Scandinavia. So you've always already been to Iceland, which is not Scandinavia, but it's Nordic. Um, I used to work for a Swedish bank, so I was regularly in Stockholm. And the first couple of work trips I took to Stockholm was in the winter. Um, just, you know, happened to be. Um, and it's very cold up there and snowy and it wasn't that attractive. It was there was very nice people or whatever. Um, but then I eventually got a work trip up there in June in the summer. And I can tell you what a place. Okay. Firstly, the people. I mean, you've met Emil and Tomas, yes. you know, there's a lot of people with that kind of, yes. you know, they're special people for sure, Absolutely. but there's a lot of people that are just cool like them. You've got endless amount of daylight. It's a very liberal kind of open country. Uh, it's got a lot of cool stuff. It's a beautiful country as well. I mean, I, in Stockholm, I said it's a city, but like beautiful. You can just go out on the lake there, right there in Stockholm. You can go further out into Sweden. But I would recommend Stockholm and number two, Denmark, another uh, Scandinavian country. But Denmark is spectacular and the north of Germany. So up by Hamburg, Hamburg is probably the best city I've ever been in Germany. Okay. It's just spectacular just to go on the, the harbor there. I mean, the Beatles were, you know, famously in Hamburg back in the day. And I can see why. There's the like the the repro band, which is like basically traditionally the red light district, but it's mm -hmm. also where a lot of the kind of uh, entertainments happen, you yeah. know, in terms of like live music and all that kind of jazz is a very big thing there. But Sunday morning, Hamburg, down by the harbor, you go up to one of the stalls there in the harbor, and you get like a little baguette with like a fresh <laughs> kind of fish, kind of breaded fish in it, with a bit of mayonnaise and a bit of uh, lemon and a bit of lettuce and you sit there and you smell the sea air and you look at the boats and whatever and you're like oh yeah I'm making me hungry 
<laughs> Making myself hungry here, Jeremy. Anyway, I won't hog the mic here, so Mal, give us a... No, I, I mean, I actually, you've probably been more places in Europe than I have, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I tend to go the other way and go to your country a fair bit. But uh, one of the pl- uh, places I have been, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city, is Budapest. Budapest, okay. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's another one of these European cities that mixes the old and yeah. the new and I mean a lot of old and it's it very very beautiful because of it yeah okay um that's the main one I I actually it's funny you guys seem to talk about like the northern places because if I was going to go anywhere in Europe it would be Scandinavia yeah. or, or Germany they interest me the most yeah. so yeah uh, and I'm extremely biased being Welsh but I would highly recommend North Wales North Wales okay. um it's it's where I'm from. There's just mountain ranges all over the place. They don't like um, anyone. <laughs> they, we don't. No. Uh, epic beaches, just castles. Ca- more castles you can shake a stick at. If you want your Legionsville, then there's literally castles every ten miles. Um, yeah, it's an incredible part of the world. Okay. I would highly recommend that if you come back. And you've done That's... Ireland. You, you know, you've done Scotland, England, yeah. Ireland, which is yeah part of the general British Isles, not Britain, obviously, John. Um, so you know, there's Wales to go. So. Oh, I should actually also, shouldn't I act as the tourist uh, information for Birmingham and the West Midlands? No, don't go there, Jeremy. No. Yeah. You're a fan, <laughs> of Lord of the, fan of Lord of the Rings? Yes. It's from Birmingham. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, the, yeah, yeah. The, you can go and visit um, Sarehole Mill, which is uh, has got the Hobbit Walk or something like that. and. There's a lot round there, and then of course it's only a only a short train ride <laughs> to Stratford upon Avon, uh, which of course is Shakespeare country. Okay. So uh, yeah, if you heart of the country as well, Jeremy, heart of the country. <laughs> I, I definitely have some places to visit then. Definitely, definitely. There's a lot of there's a lot of good places to go. I don't think I think what one more Britain, special mention for me would rap. be Prague in the Czech Republic. Because that's one of the, it's a beautiful city and it's one of the cities in that part of Europe that wasn't really bombed during World War II for some reason or other. Um, So you get the architecture there is is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When I went, when I did go to Germany, uh, the driver that took us around on the day that we we went up to uh, Neuschwanstein, uh, he was from Prague and he made the case for visiting there as well and it sounded yeah. absolutely wonderful definitely yeah definitely and come to luxembourg beautiful old city i'll show you around we'll have a few beers we'll talk legions sounds great and now you're you're obviously all coming to visit us over here oh yeah and just can you believe it just over four months oh my god jeremy don't That's say that so to me i already. have so many yeah. Yeah, so many stuff to do before oh, that. Trust me. So <laughs> do I. So oh, yeah, do yeah. I. The I'm combination. The wrong man here. The, I mean, it's exciting, but the combination for me of like PowerCon is in a month. And PowerCon is so much easier for me because it's one thing I have to do. I have to focus on Four Horsemen Studios. Legions Con, I get to help run Legions Con deal with all of the Mythic Weekend Four Horsemen stuff, but then there's also my own Mythic customs table and the Legion Shop stuff. So it's like four different things that I've got to plan out for that one particular weekend. Um, So it's definitely a high level of 
stuff to get done between now and then. Even just the display that I'm planning for my Mythic customs table is got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of customs. This my goal this year, you know, last year I did an exhibit that was all my critter customs. So this year, you know, I like to approach Legions Con as an exhibit. You know, I don't just want to, the first couple of years, I just brought a bunch of customs that I thought people would like to see and just put them on display. And last year was the first time that I kind of curated what I brought. So this year I'm doing the same thing. And I really want to focus on kind of the art of the tribute custom. So things like, you know, Emil and Eric Miller, they do such amazing tribute customs. I've done a lot of tribute customs over the years as well. So I'm really focusing on that and doing a display specifically about mythic legions or legions tribute style customs. So I had a lot more you, to do there. Yeah, Have you many more to do in the meantime? I do. I do have quite a bit. Um, I mean, I just, I mean, obviously my... if you're, if you're doing any cosmic, it's obviously from now on, isn't it? Yeah. So I have so much that I'd already planned, like, cause I already had a list of the, you know, ones of that I already have that I was going to bring and new ones, like new tributes that I wanted to do that I was going to bring as well. Um, like originally all those Lord of the Ring Nazgul that I showed recently, none of them are on that list. That was just a happy little accident. So now they are all coming to the show as well. But I don't have a lot of cosmic customs planned out. Um, it's weird that we talked earlier that with Mythic, you know, I was looking on the website and thinking about customs that I was going to do long before the Kickstarter arrived in my hands. I haven't been like that with Cosmic. Um, I really have been waiting to get them in hand to see what inspiration I was going to have. Um, so beyond the Tardigrade one that I did on Slog recently, I've been very slow to start thinking Cosmic Customs. And frankly, I'm so much enjoying just breathing in the existing figures that I haven't had a lot of ideas for ways I want to tear them apart yet. I'm sure it will come, but so far I'm taking it a little slow, and therefore I don't have a lot of Legions Con plans from the cosmic side of things. Very good. Well, Jeremy, we're approaching the two-hour mark now, so I'm going to get a, get you out of here on some rapid fire, if you're okay with that. But Absolutely, both. hit me. Right. If you could choose in a fantasy world, Legion's cartoon, a comic, or a live action series, what are you going for? Live action series. You're correct. What Motu character would you most like to see as a tribute to in Legion's? As a fan now, you don't need to talk. We're, we're not talking about your job here. Roboto. Like it, like it. Your favorite Legion's book to customize. So give you a base book. So uh, 1.0, 2.0. Oh, book. Um, 1.0. Yeah, 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 book, not book. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, yeah, 1.0, absolutely. What's the biggest customizing myth? <laughs> that not everybody can do it. And... Obviously, you're a fan of both lines, but would you say you're a fan more of sci-fi or fantasy? Fantasy. If you had your choice of absolutely any IP that the store, uh, the Four Horsemen could could get hold of and do in their style, what would it be? Inhumanoids. 
I've been asked this before and I mean I do see people saying like you guys should get the Lord of the Rings license why we already kind of do our version of Lord of the Rings yeah I agree so for me something I remember the Inhumanoids toys as kids I still have a giant tendril they were crazy figures allowing Eric to redo like the actual Inhumanoids monsters like Metlar, Decompose, and Tendril would be insane. That'd be so <laughs> much fun, those types of creatures and everything. Um, Hasbro owns the license to Inhumanoids. Um, it's almost like I've looked this up and know this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yes, if I could, if any line we could do it with just like, hey, it's ours, we can do it almost like it's our IP, um, Inhumanoids would be my pick. Um, so, uh, excluding the purple gin, and I'll start off by saying this, which is your favorite mythic custom you ever made? Cause I know you always go to the purple gin as your first one. Um, I mean, the, the sentimental one is definitely the Kitsune because it is just important to me. And the fact that it's, you know, kind of become part of the line in terms of being in the upcoming video game and, so many people having that part in their collections. The Kitsune is definitely the one that I want to go to. Um, beyond that one, if I don't pick the Kitsune or, as you said, that the first gin that I ever did, I don't know that I can pick just one that just pops in my head as my absolute favorite. Um, there are a handful of them. I know that the Princess of the Frog one that I did, the the kind of like voodoo queen style one that yeah. uses parts mm -hmm. of Hera, um, that's definitely a favorite of mine if I look at like the female type characters. Yeah, those are a couple of them. Yeah. Can I just say, having just a couple of days ago got your rat wizard one that I bought off a uh, Legion shop a while back and I finally got it sent through from uh, David Williams, who very generously stores stuff for me. Absolutely, it's it's touching go between that and the very first undead temple I brought from you as my two favorite customs. Just incredible, dude. That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't realize that you bought that. I I knew David bought it, and I said, and I thought yeah. it was interesting that David bought it. But so the fact that I know that it ended up with you that no, that's, that delights me. Yes, that was a very very me. cool one. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what sort of and this is a, a slightly different one, but which sort of race would you least like to see in Myth of Legions? People always ask you what you want to see. What would you least like to see? What would I least like to see? I don't know that there's any race that I can say that I have no interest in. Um, I guess I would answer that like townsfolk. Um, I know it's not a race, <laughs> but all the people saying that we need regular people in legions, I don't get that. And whenever they say it, they're always like blacksmith. I'm like, nope, take blacksmith off. Blacksmith is close enough to not being a normal person that they're cool. You got to go with like farmers and millers and people like that. You know, don't give me blacksmith. Don't give me tavern wench. Yeah. Both of those would be cool. But the common everyday people, I don't understand from an action figure standpoint, especially with limited space, I'm not going to make space for a farmer when I instead could put a tuperculi there. Yeah. No, hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely. And then the final quick one from me is, from what I've seen, you tend to display in your basement. Would your family 
be okay with you moving your displays upstairs if need be? They used to be upstairs. So, ah, okay. So, I will say that I'm incredibly fortunate that even before this became my job and was responsible for our livelihoods, my wife has always been incredibly supportive of my collecting. When we first met many, many years ago, um, we used to go like our dates. We used to go out to like toy stores so I could go hunt down spawn figures made by the guys that I now work with. Crazy as that is, right? That's incredible. Um, so she's always been supportive. Uh, this is the third house that we've owned together. Every one of the houses we've had has had a dedicated space for toys. Um, when I first moved in here, it was actually on the main floor. We had our bedroom and there was, well, was essentially a den on the side of it. So my computer desk and all my toys were in that room. And then I got to the point where I was like, well, I'm getting rid of the computer desk because that's valuable toy space. <laughs> so I got rid of that. Uh, we, a number of years ago, we changed around some stuff in the house and we moved the stuff in the basement. I actually prefer the toys in the basement for a few practical reasons. It's cooler in the basement. So I've got less to worry about in terms of like heat spikes and so forth. Um, because the basement here is a stone floor, like upstairs when it was on the floor, if people walk in that room too heavy, stuff would fall over. I can jump in the toy room down here and nothing ever moves because of the stone floor absorbs it all. Um, and I can also control who sees the collection and who doesn't. One of the things that I always found is I've got two kids. They're both, you know, grown now. Well, one's 19 and one's 17. Um, they're actually, we're at Legion's Con with me and they'll be back this year as well. But, you know, when you have school-age children, you end up having to, like, mingle with other parents who you have nothing in common with at all, other than the fact that your kids oh, yeah. go to the same school. <laughs> Tell me about it. So my wife, being the kind person she is, would set up these adult play dates and these people would come over. And inevitably, I'd have these other men that would come in and they'd see my collection and they would say like, oh, my God, do you know how much money you could get for this? And it would always piss me off because if I had like a souped up sports car in the garage or a room full of sports memorabilia, they wouldn't have said that because to them – those things are valuable to keep, but toys are playthings, and all they could see is the fact that it was clearly worth money and I should sell it to get stuff that's actually in their eyes cooler. So that always bothered me and I had to bite my tongue. Um, so now that it's downstairs that I don't have to, well, it's funny because now my kids are old enough that I don't have to deal with that BS anymore and have those adult play dates with people I don't want to see. But additionally, I can actually restrict who gets to see it and who doesn't. So yes, that's a long winded way of saying my family would be fine if I displayed it in other places, but it happens. It's in the basement, not to hide it, but because it actually is a practical place to put it. Yeah. I feel you with the, uh, the school parent uh, friends thing. A couple of times people have come over and, and shown an interest. So I've nipped upstairs, grabbed a couple of figures, brought them downstairs and then the interest disappears. Yeah. They're just like, oh, okay, right, yeah, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> and just add in a foreign language you're not that great at to that for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, forget it. Um, yeah, 
have to say, Jeremy, I talked to your son, Jacob, at Legion's Con. Yeah. He sold me a couple of your heads. What a wonderful kid. Credit to you. Oh, thank you. I have to Absolutely. Say, very yeah. nice guy and super intelligent. He was telling me about his plans for college. Yeah. Uh, is he at college now? or He is. He was going to college for cybersecurity. So, again, because I worked for a tech company for so many years, he kind of it's interesting because he's grown up around tech and around toys. I mean, even the years that I've been working with Full Horseman Studios, you know, that first visit in 2018, it was him and I, like we went to that intern for a day together, you know, and he was obviously much younger at that point. Um, but he, he did start going for technology, but he got really interested in law and like his last couple of years at school. And I think he only went for technology because that was the path he was on. But after one year, he kind of said, you know what, this, my heart's not in this. I really want to go to for law instead. So he switched his major over to law. So he's in college now and he's going to be a lawyer. Uh, my daughter oh, also wants to go oh. for law. My wife is actually a paralegal and says that she has never met a happy lawyer. <laughs> I don't know if any of you are lawyers, but I've met I've met <laughs> Isra Ramirez. He's pretty happy. He, he is. Is is a happy lawyer. Joe Vitieri is a happy ex lawyer, but I think it's because yeah. he's an ex lawyer. But he's calling you. Somehow we raised two children who want to be lawyers. So, <laughs> well, it could be worse. At least they'll make some money. Yeah, right, that's... to spend on toys and make themselves happy. Yeah, that's how. No, I, I I was speaking to your wife for a little bit. Jeremy at uh, Legion's Con as well. And I think she got slightly confused when I said that my wife calls you my pr plastic crack dealer. Because <laughs> uh, I bought so many customs off you over the years. She's just like, yes. he's your plastic crack dealer. And your wife was like, okay, anyway. <laughs> she was... is, it true? is it true that your wife doesn't, yeah, hates Jeremy, Rich? She doesn't hate him, no. She's, you know, she can see why I've got no money because uh, Jeremy, Jeremy took me to the dark side of customs. But no. She doesn't. <laughs> She doesn't hate me. She just hates what I stand for. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool to bring them all to Legion's Con last year because, you know, when I made this change, as incredible as it was for me to chase my dream, and, and again, so much love to my wife for supporting, you know, allowing me to do this, to take this step, because it was scary. You know, the company I had worked for, I was there for 14 years. I was a senior manager. Um, I reported to one person, the guy that owns the company. So to say, hey, babe, I think I'm going to leave my job of 14 years and go, you know, work with this toy company. Um, that was a scary leap of faith for her. So for her to come to Legion's Con and see all of that, to see the community and just the passion and the outpouring of love, um, that was very, very cool and very, very important. And it made my daughter think that I'm a rock star because when people were coming up asking for yes. photos and autographs, she was like, my dad is like famous. In that world, Jeremy, you absolutely are. I, I, I'm, I'm well known in a very specific community of people. That's different than being famous. But thank you. I, I, I appreciate all the Legionnaires that my daughter thinks I'm famous because of your support of me. So. That's awesome. I was um I was telling my daughter that we had, you know, we had like a few hundred people download our episodes each week. Yeah. So I'm on my way to being famous. And bless her, she's ten and she felt the need to point out that there's somebody on YouTube who drops a pen on the floor each day and films it. And they'd had a million views. It was like, <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> Thank, thanks for that. Then that's brought me right back down to right okay. in your place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I have much more intelligent conversation than that. <laughs> doesn't bring in the box, does it? Well, Jeremy Gerard, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Pleasure's all mine. It's, it's one, absolutely it's, wonderful. It's definitely made our purpose for being a little bit more. Thank you, dude. Yes. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Episode 18. I have a whole sheet of questions that we didn't get to hear, which means that we're going to have to talk again. Oh, don't know when. Maybe it's live at Legion's Con. I don't think you'll have the time then, but you know, that's the next time I'm going to see in person. So you never know. So Jeremy, I think from me, from Malrich, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for making your Legion's extra special this week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.